You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another episode of the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you, as always, for checking out the show. Uh, I have a. I wonder if my speech pattern is going to be strange because I'm. <laughs> I lost this thing for my headphones, so I'm going through a different output, and it's like a delay. It's throwing me off. So, my apologies if I sound a tad strange, but I'm going to try and power through. Uh, yeah, it's been probably about a month since the last show, and you know a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, it's just been a breakneck schedule uh, for my touring. You know, basically between you know I went out with Ice Nine Kills, you know, two months in Europe, doing the Metallica thing, headline dates, festivals, and then I had only four days at home. And within that time, I had to learn three new songs. And some of their songs are easy, and some of their songs are real hard. <laughs> and so it was, it was just, and I was just, dude, I was so exhausted when I got back. Uh, it's a really long uh, travel day getting back. And I just, it just took everything out of me. My entire body felt like it was falling apart. <laughs> uh, and just, just, you know, and then, you know, the jet lag and getting used to the time. And, you know, just as I was kind of starting to feel normal, you know, we had to get on another flight and uh, go cross country to start the next tour with Falling in Reverse, um, you know, pretty much a couple of days later. And so went right into this tour. And I feel like just getting, you know, get back to America, different venues, I and mean, we're pretty much doing small arenas, um, in amphitheaters, but it's still big crowds. I mean, probably anywhere from five to 10,000 people on these, these first few shows. And we've had under oath out on a couple dates, um, slaughter to prevail. Who's fucking awesome. Um, catch your breath and crown the empire. So it's been really fun so, so far. Um, but basically had, had all that going on. And then, Bad Wolves has been finishing a record, and so I've been getting mixes in and checking out songs and trying to pick singles, and I even have to jump off on a day off on this tour to go shoot a music video because our schedule kind of got bumped up, and and yeah, it's just kind of playing catch up on a lot of different things, and it's just been 
it's just been absolutely crazy. So, you know, even on, on many of my days off, I, I feel like they're not really days off half the time from, you know, just catching up on work and emails and, and doing things like this. So it's one thing to like balance the podcast and do it one band. It's a whole other thing to do it and balance two bands. And then even God forbid has, uh, you know, some shows coming up. So there's, there's some stuff kind of involved in that. Not, not too much work, but still, still some work I'm, I'm kind of playing, playing catch up on, but, but yeah, it's been just a, a crazy few months for me and it, and it, it doesn't ease up. Basically I do this tour to the end of the month, same thing, have about four days off and I have to shoot music videos for bad wolves during that time off. Then we start the next leg with, um, Einstein kills headlining more Metallica dates. And then I leave that tour. Like I don't f- fully complete the tour. I missed the last like week uh, in a couple days to jump back with bad wolves as we're opening for, or, uh, asking Alexandra and the who, and that goes for like about a month. And then I have a month off. <laughs> and during that month, uh, God forbid is doing the lamb of God boat. And, there's another Bad Wolves tour coming after that, but I can't say who it's with. But so I'm I'm pretty much touring for the rest of the year, and it's uh, you know, I think physically it's taken its toll. Like my neck is pretty jacked up, my back is pretty jacked up. Kind of trying to take it easy on, on stage, and I'm kind of you know I I was in physical therapy a long time for my neck, so I'm doing all this stuff that I learned during that, and it's kind of helping, but kind of not doing my yoga and that's kind of helping but kind of not it's been uh it's been a, a real struggle and just just being away from home you know i think takes its toll just on your your regular life so just kind of dealing with everything it's been it's been quite an undertaking but you know hopefully you, know, you hope it pays off you know just kind of getting as much exposure and playing with a new band and having you know new fans kind of get, get access to what i do and be able to kind of rub elbows with some of these bands that are really kind of setting the world on fire is is really incredible and then the metallica thing is a whole other level of amazing so i definitely appreciate it i'm trying to work hard keep my head down and, uh, you know just stay stay connected but i've been grinding so hard i want to uh you know we'll, we'll see how things go but i'm I have one more show that I did before all this touring started. I have to get out and then actually start planning some new interviews and creating the space and the time and the energy to kind of do that. So anyway, I apologize for taking the break. We have a couple sponsors this week, and the first one is a band. Their name is Pterodactyl King. I want to say they're from... I want to say they're from Minneapolis. I might be wrong. Let me double check that. I'll I'll check it while I'm, I'm playing the song. But uh, yeah, this is a really cool band, and we're gonna play a new song from them entitled "Pathway to Peace."
just heard Pathway to Peace by Pterodactyl King. And I was I was wrong. They're not from Minneapolis. Um, they're from Chicago. And I got confused because I guess this uh, Pterodactyl King, their like, brother band is uh, Pangea. They shared some members. And I thought they were from Minneapolis to me. I, I got confused. Um, but anyway, there's kind of a long story about how this band together, uh, how this band came together where uh, Pterodactyl King and Pangea played together uh, back in the day, and then people from Pangea produced the next Pterodactyl King record, and then Pangea pretty much almost got signed to Metal Blade, and then the pandemic happened, and then the deal went away. So it's a pretty <laughs> wild thing. And basically, eventually, these these guys kind of joined forces, uh, Trey and Mark, uh, putting the three Pangea guitar players together with their, their old drummer and, uh, and the singer Mark, um, Ionelli. Apparently he's the pterodactyl King. And yeah, so they're, they're working on a new record. Uh, this song they just heard has a really awesome music video and their other song that's out Erupticon has a really cool animated video. And essentially the band they're hoping to get on the road, um, and they'll be writing prehistoric power prog songs until then. <laughs> and uh, if you want to check the band out, just Google Pterodactyl King Band. Right? That's with a P. Even that kind of threw, threw me off. Should should know these these dinosaur spellings. And uh, they'll be selling a new T-shirt and tabs for uh, for singles over on their Bandcamp. And if you want to, uh, you can go to their link tree. It's PT King. Uh, but yeah, I actually really enjoyed that song. Really produced well. The video is cool. Kind of has got a uh, protest the hero vibe going on. But really, really well done. Um, and thank you to them for sponsoring the show. And apologies for the delay. All right, we have one more sponsor. This is, uh, I want to say, second or third time. This is my buddy's band from uh, from L.A. And I actually did a guest solo on this, this forthcoming EP. It's a band called A Mirror Hollow. And we're going to play a new song from them entitled Only Hell. Lost emotion from my time 
So that was A Mirror Hollow with their track Only Hell from their Pieces EP, which came out uh, in 2022, actually. But uh, yeah, they're still still working it, getting the word out there. And that that track features uh, good friend, uh, the the late uh, Gus Krenz. I don't know if he did the solo or maybe some of the guitars, but I know he was really involved with the band's uh, older material, like working on stuff. So shout out to Gus. Definitely miss him so, so, so much. And uh, yeah, if you want to check out A Mirror Hollow, sometimes I say that quick. And I remember when I first heard the band name, I was like, A Mirror Hollow? It's A Mirror Hollow. <laughs> so don't don't say it too quick. You might, you might, you might lose it. But uh, yeah, if you want to go to amirrorhollow.com, which is also their band camp. Um, and, you know, check out the EPs. They have a bunch of different material. Go to anywhere where you stream music. You can check it out. These actually, their EP is actually uh, streamed really, really well. And, uh, you know, tell them Doc Cole sent you and really appreciate them sponsoring the show. Shout out to Chris, one of my best best buddies. And I, I miss all those guys being being on tour. You know, you miss you miss your people. But really appreciate it to them. And uh, if you'd like to sponsor the show, uh, just shoot me an email at the xmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is EX. We're just jumping the DMs. I'm Like I said, I'm playing a little catch up. I'm really going to have to start uh, making a new road schedule because I've been – all these interviews are from before I was out on the road and I was doing a lot of stuff that will – it'll come to light. But I definitely want to get back more into a flow and securing some interviews, especially some of these bands I'm on tour with. It would be cool to grab some stuff. So – all right. With all that stuff out of the way, uh, we have probably one of my favorite interviews I've I've ever done, um, and I'm really just honored that he reached out to me about doing this. And it's uh, M Shadows. I just call him Matt <laughs> from uh, Avenged Sevenfold, lead singer from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've known Matt for a very long time. Uh, you know, twenty years plus at this point, and has always been just kind of a true blue down-to-earth uh, individual who, you know, never changed uh, attitude-wise, no matter how big his band got. And they, they're they one of the biggest metal bands in the world. And I think that's, it's really commendable. And I don't expect that. Like, I'm not this person where, like, you know, it just because some band opened up for God forbid forever ago, like, no one owes me being my friend or being cool as they kind of fly, go up the ladder. I kind of expect to be left behind. See you. See you guys. Enjoy your, <laughs> your, uh, ascent to the heavens. Um, but I do appreciate it. You know, um, it's just, it's just very, very nice and shows a lot of character and, you know, been being able to kind of see a band that you kind of took out early on in their very early stages, just ascend and grow and become this just monumental, iconic band. It's just, it's just amazing, man. And uh, their new album, I've talked about it before on, on on here. Life is but a dream. I did this interview before I heard the whole album, so I'm really just talking about nobody. But uh, really, kind of fucked my whole world up. How much I, I I just got into the record, and so I think they're a special band in a special moment doing something that really matters for this heavy music scene and they're really kind of throwing a a, a a wrench in 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 the works and making something interesting and compelling and artistic and uh, i think it's powerful and i'm really glad and grateful that matt took the time 
to come do the show means the world. So, you know, or M shadows as you guys know, him, you know, Mr. Shadows. Uh, but anyway, check out my conversation with the incredible M shadows. Well, Matt, what's going on, brother? This is a, a long time coming. Yeah, there's, um, you know, there's uh, there's uh, there's been a lot going on, um, but you know, as of today, or as of the last couple of days, now there's um, outwardly a lot of stuff going on, right? <laughs> like, um, obviously, a lot behind the scenes, and then um, when you start actually releasing stuff, it becomes a different thing. So then you have new um, new responsibilities, new issues, new um, just things to do. So yeah, there's a lot going on, man. Well, it's been seven years since the last album and even before the pandemic you guys had kind of taken time you know extended hiatus from touring uh for i imagine a multitude of reasons but uh so what the hell you been doing for the last seven years besides yeah. making an album um yeah hanging out with kids uh playing golf uh i mean just doing normal things and then getting comfortable with like just kind of um, I guess it's, it's, I guess it's, a, there's two ways I can go about this question. I was doing a lot of, <clears throat> um, introspection yeah. on the emotional side and the, and the, the, the human side. And then at the same time, I was living a normal life, hanging out with my kids, going to basketball practice, you know, hanging out with friends, writing music, being inspired by different things outside of music. Um, art, um, film, um, and then quietly taking notes in my iPhone, you know, just kind of things that were sparking interest or feelings in me. And then, um, and there was, you know, a lot of just kind of exploration, I would say. And, um, the whole time I was very, and, and I know I can speak for Brian as well, because we're obviously very close brother-in-laws, but there was a lot of not really um, missing the old life and what we were doing, but being very driven by art and being very driven by um, just, <laughs> just doing things we wanted to do and then doing them at our own pace. And so when all those things kind of come together, all of a sudden it's seven years and um, everyone's just like, what the hell? Like what's wrong with you guys? So no, I don't, I don't look at it that way. I, I think there's an echelon of of artists that you kind of get to uh where you get to choose you know yeah. and you know we've seen this with metallica we've seen this with tool uh where i think bands kind of in in the mid tiers or the middle class of kind of what it means to be a working band you get wrapped up in that that album cycle where if you don't you know start working on a record or deliver a master at a certain point you know, you're not paying your mortgage that year because those bands rely on those advances and also just being out six months out of the year to just survive. And yeah. I think there's that driving element of the commerce part of it that puts, I think a lot of bands at a creative disadvantage because I was always of the mind and, and God forbid was always slow with records. Uh, but, and it, and at the time when you're like at that level, it hurts you when you yeah. wait to a year too long, all of a sudden things kind of pass you by. 
but I think there's probably a certain amount of privilege that goes along with being successful enough that your fans will wait. They're not your, you guys have kind of uh, shielded yourself from being affected by trends that some other bands because of the body of work and the connection and all that, all that stuff. So I think sometimes I feel like bands put out records too soon and they don't let enough life happen to affect the creative to like, you got to, experience shit in the world to be able to reflect that in whatever work in art. I totally agree with that. It's, um, you know, when you get in that cycle, which we've clearly been in for many years, you know, like you have a year and a half, two years of touring, and then you have a week home and then you better start writing on the next record or, or did you write on the tour bus or whatever it was? And there's no sort of reflection. There's no sort of like, introspection any sort of like new thing you can bring it's just you've been completely it's almost like when you have your kids or whatever and they're they're constantly on the ipad or they're constantly being fed input but they don't have time to be bored and have like a a creative thought yeah right and being on that touring cycle is kind of the same thing you're you're in this grind and then it's like okay now you got to be creative go be creative and do something and then try to like make it different but kind of the same but keep these people happy and do this. And then it's like, it's a really weird thing that we've become as like a a society and what we expect art to be. And like, and then there's that question of like, okay, well, a lot of these bands, they do it for a living and they, they want it to be a commerce thing. And then there's other bands where there's a lot of bands that I really look up to, like the faith, no mores of the world and the tools and the, the Mr. Bungles of the world where they clearly are just doing what they want to do. And it's, and it's, you know, they've, and so there's that whole thing where like, you got to decide what you're going to be. And it's really hard to kind of toggle between both. I think some bands do that well. Um, But for us with this record and where we're at right now, we uh, just decided that there's no foot left in what we don't want to be. Yeah. And if there is anything that resembles that, that's clearly, that's, truly what we want to do right now. And that just is like a kind of an afterthought of it. Um, but that it took, it took some time to kind of realize that it took some experiences to, to realize that. And it also just the finite, um, aspect of life and how you only live once and you're, and you just want to make things that are important to you, especially if it's going to be your career. Um, you want to do things that are important to you that you really feel you're contributing to us moving forward or the grander um, kind of conversation of what this all is. And, and so, and so that's kind of what this record is about and why it took so long. And we just, I mean, there's a lot of people that just say, shut the fuck up, like just make something like we don't care, but for us, it's really, it's deeply emotional and important. Well, drop the song, nobody three days ago. And it feels a little bit like a, a, like a nuclear bomb went off in the kind of rock world. Um, no, because I think there's been anticipation. Yeah. There's this kind of, you know, when you create um, scarcity of a, of a, a band, because there's, you know, I don't know, there's 10 metal bands that are at that arena level, you know, that you know, the headliners, the festival headliners. So when those bands take a big break, it's like, damn we've been we've been waiting for for this band and metal i think when it the way it differs from the culture and like hip-hop and pop is it 
puts a lot of reverence into bands that have a history, right? We kind of, ele- so there's, you've kind of, you may, take many years to build stuff and you just kind of, as long as the work is strong, you get kind of rewarded for that. So everyone's waiting for it. And as soon as I, you know, I put it on right away and I was like, at the first time through, I didn't know how to feel about it. It was like, because, and, and in many ways it, it's like scary and exciting because you have, a, you know, you guys were one of my favorite bands. And so it's like, you, 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 you want certain things and you build all these expectations, but then you also go, and I do, this happens so many times. I'm sure it happens with you where you have a new song by one of your favorite bands and it's different. And at first you're like, you're put off. And then maybe by the second or third time, then it starts working. And then the 10th time you love it. But it's that thing of like challenging you. And I'm like, we only kind of give that back in the day. We used to do it all the time, right? Cause you would get an album, right? You get load or something and you like, and you like, you love Metallica. You like, you almost, you have to listen cause you bought it. It was 1799 and you're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to listen to it till I like it. Right. Yes. Um, and I think now because of streaming and the way people, you know, 30 seconds, you might listen, give yep. a band 30 seconds and kind of Trash. move on. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But this song, it dude, I'll tell you the same thing happened. Hail to the King came out. I was like, ah, it's, a, it's pretty good. And then by that fourth time, like, I think that's the best song I've written. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> and, and this one, it's like just that, um, the first thing I noticed was just that guitar sound, that brand, which almost kind of reminded me of like Iron Man a little bit, like just that tone, but sonically it was just different. Your voice comes in, your voice sounds a little different. Then all of a sudden it's just like, um, there's this type of songwriting called like vertical songwriting, where it's like, I've never heard a song, you guys write a song that's like kind of repetitive, yep. you know? Like it's like this train, but then vertical songwriting means you just stack different sounds so then it's like here's this symbol thing and here's these horn section and then you're like you're like oh what's what's that what's that and you're like listening to all these things and then and then the motifs the more you listen to the song just comes back around and then the video is very compelling it's like one of those things where you want to keep watching it and try and figure out what this means and, and and that means and so it's and then now we have this uh reaction culture where everyone Oh, let's check out what these people think of it, and then you kind of get caught up in that. But anyway, it's just like it's just been really fun to like get into the song and like it more and more, and then see other people, and then you go. Then I listened to the stage, and I was like, man, this feels like this like next level of discovery. So sorry, I feel like I just monologue there, but I'm no, just, I have so many thoughts about the song. So you're kind of um, going through the same feelings I've been having because again living with that riff in this song for this is probably one of the earlier things we wrote. So we've had it for probably four years and it became very normal to me. I was not ready for when we put that out for it to be so, because between you and me and everyone else, I think this is like the most normal sounding thing on the record. (laughs) So when I, when we put this out, I was like, Oh, oh, this is weird because, and then yeah, you you have that reaction culture, which is very funny because if the if the reactor has a negative opinion, all the comments are negative. And if the reactor has like a positive opinion, everyone's like, "Oh, you get it." And it's all positive. It's such a weird thing like is anyone I really I didn't see any negative ones yet, but I haven't watched a ton. Oh, there's so. some really funny ones. Like yeah. day 1, we were actually a couple of us were together and we were watching them as they came up and everyone was just confused. They're like, "Ready for a banger?" 
throw it on and then fucking like, okay, like we'll see where this goes and just keeps the tension and it keeps drink, like just driving you in. And by the end of it, they're just like, okay. Um, <laughs> like if they like the band, they don't want to say anything bad. If they hate the band, they're like, told you this is terrible. Um, so it's, it's been funny, but to me, like when I, when I think of this song, I think of like, we could clearly go half as long in the first chorus and go back into the riff. Yeah. The fact that we build on top of it and double it gives you so much tension and anxiety and then a release. So there's all these things we're trying to like think differently about. We were being inspired by like art or like, like Wes Lang's paintings and like looking at them going, what would that sound like? And they were so bizarre and abstract that we started taking, you know, rules that we feel that we've proved everyone. We know the rules and then we're breaking them now. You know, yeah, we're putting yeah. chord changes and key changes on top of each other, notes that are clearly rubbing, like at the end to get into that last part, you know, a normal thing would be just to wait till that thing ends and then start the next key. But we just on top of each other, just like jar your head. And I was with, you know, Mike Shinoda yesterday and he was like, the funny thing about this record, um, he, he has the whole record and he's like, I love this record. He's like, but if, if this record was given to like, it's kind of like a child with paint. If you don't know, they've painted so many things beforehand, you'd say, oh, it's a child with paint. But the fact that you guys have done so much beforehand and then you give us this, it's kind of genius. Like it's, it's, it's a weird thing. And I thought that was like interesting. Like, you know, it made me think, cause uh, you know, I was obviously like, I was just like tense and stressed out. Like, oh my God, this is like, you're putting new music out. It's just stressful. And yeah, um, absolutely. Well, just that judgment, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. And it's, that's hard it's for funny. anyone. Like, it's funny. Cause I've seen people turn around on this. It's, it doesn't really matter. No, but you want people to kind of listen to something and kind of get where you're coming from. Yeah. And that's always difficult, especially when there's all these things. And then you, and then you have people that think there's people on, you know, YouTube as well. That it's interesting. We were watching some reviews where they think everything's fake. Like it's all samples. Mm -hmm. There's not one sample in that song, not even the, 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 the drum, like trap thing. Like that's Brooks. Like we went in there and like did a really tight drum ten and then overdubbed, you know, like everything in there is real strings. It's real. This it's real. Now like, Oh, samples, samples. I know that library. I know this. And it's like, okay. <laughs> like you're just like, okay, you want to explode, but it is well, what it is. When I, th I think there's almost a, um, I wouldn't call it a contradiction, but it's a, you guys are very, very unique in the space because a lot of your proclivities are very classic and old school. Like I think yeah. you're, so when I hear the song, the immediately my references, like I said, I, I thought of Black Sabbath. I thought of some of those like weird sounds. I thought of Pink Floyd, the horn sounds and the the strings at the end made me think of like Eleanor Rigby and Beatles and yeah, shit, yeah. Sh shit like that. So I, I kind of understand. I appreciate that by the way, cause that's, that's where we're coming from. No, I, I know, but I think, but a lot of that plays into this organic nature of instrumentation, right? You guys have some very, very high level players in, in the band, and that's something you've always uh, made it a point, right? And also just, me and you are virtually, I think, about the same age, so we have, and our influences are very similar, right? Like, we grew up listening to MTV at the same time, and Metallica, and Guns N' Roses, and, and all this stuff. But that's always been like, when I think of your, your guys' band, it's an old school mentality, right? It's yes. like, this is a metal band with these solos and these thrash beats. And then 
if you look at your two last records, look at how much the ground underneath uh, all of us has shifted in the heavy music world, right? Yes. It's gotten real modern, right? It's gotten yes. you know, the Bring Me the Horizons of the World and uh, you know Falling in Reverse and bringing hip hop and pop and all this. And so it's a completely different environment. So it's like, I know on one hand, there's this really like old school mentality, but then when I hear you talk about kind of your influences for the record and you'll, you'll mention people like Kanye or something yep. from an artistic perspective, not <laughs> an ideological yeah. one, but yeah. um, it, it also like you have this big foot in this classic old school world, but also this other big foot in like progress. Yes. But it, it might not necessarily represent itself in like the technology or all that stuff, but it's also like, let's disrupt this fucking thing because it's too easy just to do what we already did. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. I think one of the most fascinating things about a Kanye or like a Daft Punk is they live in this genre that they kind of do, but they kind of float outside all the genres. If you really think about it. Yeah. But they're doing so much organic stuff in a genre that is like, if you listen to Yeezus, there's a lot of great organic stuff happening and a lot of very interesting sound ideas. And then you listen to like Daft Punk and it's like, why is one of the biggest dance slash EDM, whatever you want to call them. And they recorded all real instruments on their record. They're doing real. Well, they went reverse. They started exactly. electronic yeah. and then got, they made the most organic pop album of the last like 20 years. Yeah. And it's like one of the most successful, like, like upper echelon types of, and you listen to that. And so I think like, like there's a lot of like, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a lot of vocoder and things we're doing on this record. We're not using Pro Tools vocoder, right? We're, we brought out the keyboards, we're singing into stuff or talk, talk box, weird. But I think if you do that stuff and you do all those new forward thinking things in an organic way, I think it just has a, like a, a knack to it. That's very cool. One thing that I think, and I've said this on Twitter and you just get, you know, old man yelling at the clouds. I just think technology overuse is killing metal and killing rock. I think everyone's using the same samples. They're using the same tools to kind of fill out the speakers. They're brick walling their, their mixes They're Everything is just the vocals pop and it's way on top. And I just, I feel like people don't understand that when they hear that there's something that's turning them off the normal person, not the rock fan, like the, the few that we have left. Like the normal person that listens to that, they're just like, this sounds like one straight line of something, but it's not appealing to me because there's no dynamic. There's no this or that. It all sounds the same. And I think that's why bands like Tool, bands like System, they really stand out because there's so much dynamic. There's so much realness happening. And I think there's a reason why like someone like Kanye, he can defy genres because he's doing a lot of really organic stuff. He's bringing real strings and he's got Elton John playing on the piano and you know, all the lights or, or all these songs, he's doing things in a much more organic way. And Daft Punk, the same, like, I use them as like big examples of like people that we kind of, when we hear their music, it's like, oh, that's, there's something special there. So we just try to do that ourselves. And, and, and listen, it all comes down to, it all comes down to like your taste. And when you're in a genre that the people that are listening to you obviously don't care about that because they're still listening to metal and rock and they're listening to what we think doesn't sound right to us you're going to have that kind of tension where people are like, no, you're a fucking idiot. Like you're, you're just a fucking old man yelling at the clouds. But I think there's a reason why 
rock has a hard time translating. And some of these songs, like I think like, what would Master of Puppets sound like if the drums were quantized, everything was filled out in the speakers, everything was perfectly tuned and everything was, it just wouldn't have that same like thing it makes you feel. Um, and I, and I think all those great songs would sound a lot less great. And I think that's happening to a lot of really good songs in the metal genre that are just getting kind of painted with the same brush. And it's, that's disturbing to me, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I think listen, in, in a weird way, I know exactly what you mean, but there's kind of like countervailing narratives, right? There's this idea that in, in many ways, heavy music, rock metal is having a, a big upswing, probably the biggest since like the early 2000s. Um, and a lot of those bands are pretty non-organic, but then within that, you see these bands that cut through a band like Ghost, for example, that very organic, very old school, very like 70s, uh, you know, uh, you know, reference in terms of their, their influences. I think Sleep Token, who's like just shooting, kind of flying up right now, but you listen to it, it's like, that's some real shit. Like there's, and I think, uh, and this is kind of exists across all genres is it's a skill deficit. Like, yeah. and what happens is it, if we all kind of, or not we, but many, many artists can make these things happen in the studio because they have all these tools and then they go, well, I can't go out there without those tools, without the auto tune, without the quantization, because it's like, dude, because it, it you're you're damned if you damned if you don't right if you go out there and you blow it and have a shitty vocal performance people will put that out there and here's evidence of why you suck and then if you go out and use tracks and you get caught using that here's the evidence why you suck because you use tracks right it's like you know there's it's 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 a tough thing but i think when you do have something that's organic it cuts through whether it's greta van fleet whether it's ghost whether volbeat is a band that very old school, very real instruments. And when it works and it, and it has a thing, people really get into it because it it's just so much more unique now. It stands out so much because everyone's doing the same thing. Yeah, and I think another problem is, um, you know, when you go into mix, a lot of these guys just take it upon themselves just to throw samples on all your shit so it's easier for them. Yeah. And, and that, to me, just really irks me. That's why I, we like to use Andy Wallace still. He's like old school, he's very old. You know, and he doesn't do many records anymore, but you know, when you go in there, he's going to mix what you gave him. Yeah. And I have so many, we have so many friends and bands that people we both know, and then they complain to me. They're like, yeah, we wouldn't get this mixed by this guy. And then we went in there and the, the drums had all been replaced. And then you argue with the guy and the guy's like, well, this is why it's, this is why I need this to cut through here or do this or that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but that's not what we recorded. Like, what's the point? Like, yeah. and it's such a like, whatever, like it's, at the end of the day, I, my, what I'm going to stand on is I think many, many great, great, great songs get ruined by overproduction. I would personally rather hear one microphone in the room and the drums recorded like that than all the same drum samples that I've heard on everybody's record, filling out the whole thing, big old snare, just covering up everything, nothing cuts. Um, I would rather hear, when because I, I grew up listening to hardcore and punk rock. So when I'm thinking of like, when I go back and I put on, you know, the other day I was listening to Gutter Mouth and No Effects and Good Riddance. And then I was switching over to like, like what was I saying? I was looking to Sick of It All and like Earth Crisis and all that. And I'm like listening to it and I'm going like, I love how all these records sound different. 
Like they don't, you can't listen to them back to back. Cause it's just like, what's that? Oh, what's this? Oh, this is this. And then now I put on like the top playlist on Apple music or whatever. And it's every song is the same thing. And I, I, what the hill I'm going to die on is that I think the songwriting is being, is being hurt. Not, not the actual song, but how it is performed is being hurt by putting the same tricks on every song. That's well, it, it's, I mean, I think yeah. it's fear-based, you know, and I'm, you know, and I don't think, you know, and I feel like I'm, you know, my band Bad Wolves is probably, we're probably, you know, in that mix of like that modern sound, you know, and it's, and, it, um, you know, and so I, I get that because it doesn't, it's not, I'm in the band, but it's not my band. Like I didn't start the band. It's, I'm not the main songwriter. And there's, I've been in there having those arguments with yeah. a producer where you're, trying to go for something and it's it's not because i think there's this um i don't know it's almost like if you only dated supermodels you'd be like well if they're not a supermodel if they don't look that like that i can't date them it's like if you only hear things that are perfect yes then everything that's not that sounds bad to your ears. yes and that's one thing i was that's one thing i said i said i actually think if you took someone in the studio and you played the real kick to the fake kick you'd pick the fake kick every time. My, my problem is when you listen to it as a whole for a long time, it, it becomes this. And all yeah. of a sudden you're like, okay, that's, so I guess I react more to emotion and more to like the feel of what's happening. And I get really worried that if everything's perfect, then nothing is flawed. And if nothing is flawed, then there's no human there. And so that's, that's my only thing with it. I just get really, cause I, cause listen, I, I totally get that. If you're sitting in there, it is scary. It's scary. Like those are the drums we got and that's what we got. And like, we're sticking with it, you know? And like, <laughs> you might hear a hum in the mic or you might hear something and it's very easy to go, Oh, let's replace it. Um, but I think I, it's just a different way of doing things. I, and I think, I think I just, I, I just think that it, it really hurts the genre in some ways. And yeah, there's some bands that are, that are just very, um, very, it's very egregious to me. Yours is not one of them, but there's certain bands when they get brought up and I'm just like, I'm listening to it. It's just a brick wall all the way through. And I can't, I just, I don't get it. And everyone tells me it's genius. And I'm like, I just don't get it. I, I'd rather listen to like disco volante and hear the most bizarre, cruel shit that my body like is reacting physically to something that I, that I feel uncomfortable with. Um, but that's, listen, there's, there's a photo. If you, if you, if you actually, anyone that's watching this should look at, um, the first painting that Picasso did of himself when he was 15. And then look at the last painting he did before he died and how he viewed himself at the end of his life. I feel like that second painting at this point, mm -hmm. it's like an animation of a big eye. And he's like, he's like, it's like the most absurd painting. And the, and the one when he was 15 was like this beautiful, like this guy's going to be a great artist. Right. And by the time he had lived his life, he was like, no, I want the absurd. I want the fucking thing that makes me feel what the fuck is this guy thinking? And that's where I'm at right now. Right. And it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Um, it just, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, I, I feel like, uh, that type of thinking, you know, has to do it a lot with our generation because of what the bands we got to see it's like you know i'm in this like cover band with like rob and kurt from metallica right and we're playing all the classics you know the yeah. sabbath and priest and like even though i'm 
a lot younger than those guys, I feel like my sensibilities are very old school. You know, like I, at a certain point, even though I was listening to extreme metal, I like, in my very early 20s, I got really into, oh, I'm gonna discover Radiohead and classic yeah. rock and like, just get out of just this and like expand my horizons. And then once you kind of have this, because I, I know, you know, cause I know your music so well, I know you have some, a lot of that same stuff where you're like, you're in your era, but you're also like, if we, if you don't absorb kind of the lessons of history, then you're like, it's like waking up with amnesia. Yes. <laughs> right. Not all this really important lessons, like go study the classics, understand why this is great and makes, makes, makes something great. And so I think, you know, you, every new human being that's born is a blank slate and you got to fill them with stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, we might, it's, it will, I think based on how technology is. And by the way, think about when, how uh, AI is going to start affecting music in the next couple years. It's going to get even fucking weirder. Yeah. And it's going to be harder to even, you know, cause just how computers made it, you didn't have to know any play, any instrument to make music. This is going to take that to the next level and it's going to get fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get really fucked Yo, up. And so, I totally agree with all that. I think when you look at back at like all the the things of the past, if I had to be a 41-year-old sitting here right now, think about the things of the past of music. So many of my favorite artists slapped me in the face and challenged me with records. I had expectations and then something came out that I was heartbroken. Couldn't believe it. But when I look back, I needed that. And I needed to be taught that. And I have so much respect for these artists that did that to me. There's a lot that gave me the same thing. And I, there's the names escape me right now, but there's so many things that challenged me that broke my heart at the time. Like go from the first Mr. Bungle record and then go into disco Volante. Mike Patton's not even singing. He's murmuring the whole time. And it's just fucking like, and then they do California. Like I remember Brian was literally in a depression when that record came out because of how grand that first record was. And then, and then it becomes like your favorite thing. Cause you're like, these motherfuckers are crazy. They don't care. I still don't like disco Volante. Oh, so I love disco Volante. I love it. <laughs> um, but then there's so many things like that. But what I think is interesting about AI, I think it's actually imagine a world where Avenged Sevenfold. Cause if you think about what AI is at this point, AI is an accumulation of everything it's known before. Right. So if you were to say like make a bad wolf song or make an Avenged Sevenfold song, AI doesn't know how to go outside of the box and actually create what you and me would do. But it knows how to take what we've already done yeah. and mix and match in a different way. Yeah. So what I think is awesome is like imagine you're like fucking this new Avenged record is trash. I fucking don't get it. I'm I'm so over this crap they're trying to do. Give me a record like. And then yeah. like, let AI make it, it'd be like, then there you go. You got your new Avengers record. Like you have a, a mix mash of everything that we've done, but different choruses, different cool stuff. I think it could be really fucking interesting. And then like the real guys like us, like you're you and I'm me and we, and we kind of push forward on what we're doing. I think it's a fucking weird, really weird future that we're in for where people can just be like, eh, give me, give me more of that. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be that, I think it's going to be like, instead of us going into like logic and having a sample library or like a loop library, it'll like formulate brand new loops that don't exist. So in some ways I think it's going to be a good tool 
to actually yep. make new original music. And listen, all it's funny when um when Hail to the King came out, I remember there was this like real Metal Sucks did this like I was that I there was just a big backlash to Hail to the King. Mm -hmm. And it inspired me to write this article on when I was I did an editorial for Metal Sucks called The Song Remains the Same. And the whole thesis of the essay was about how that all art that exists, and this, this is not my theory, I'm just kind of repeating stuff that is out there, but I agree with this this theory that every, you know, this, this documentary I watched called Everything is a Remix, about that the only way new creation exists is that we use old creation and intermingle it. And then what comes out has the veneer of originality, but it is really only taking, because nothing, it's like uh, energy can be neither created nor destroyed and creativity just, things just don't pop out of the ether. It's, you know, it's- and There's, the there's only, no new element. Yeah, the no. only thing that's new is us. Like you're you a new human. I, well, no, but just your personality, right? Like yep. your voice sounds like your voice. Yep. You know, even if you try to sound like James Heffield or fucking Freddie Mercury, you're still gonna sound like you, yep. you know? And that's so our personalities is the only thing that's the original thing. Or you're in a band and you get four or five unique individuals and then whatever little bit of soul and personality and humanness, that's what makes it original. Like when you combine those 50 things, but you know, uh, it just makes me think about that, that, that thing that we're all just a reflection of the past. And so we're, you know, and we just got to accept it. You know, I think in, in many ways, originality is some of the most overrated elements of, of art or like, you know, and I don't, I don't think people really care about it too much, but the, uh, the uh, critical class likes to hang, hang their hat on it. Oh, this sounds like that. I'm like, is it good? <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. think in the originality thing, nothing's original. It's just where are you pulling from, right? Yeah. And uh, and if you're pulling from things outside of the kind of the um, if you're pulling from things that are outside of the group think of what you're selling it to. Right. So you have certain fans that are just not aware of these things that you're pulling from, then it sounds original to them. It sounds like something completely different and, and new, but every artist is very, very um, influenced by something. There's something that's driving them, something that's making them click and go, oh, like that could be cool if it's done like this. Right. And that's, but, but then like, yeah, a lot of the originality comes from people that simply don't have the reference of what they're hearing a kind of repeat or copy of, which is, um, which is, which is fun, but, but you're right. It's not technically anything new being pulled out of the universe, right? It's, it's we're all just influencing each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, by the way, I wanted to go back cause you just made the perfect point on the drums and all the recording. I want to hear you say my voice, but it's also the drummer and it's yeah. the guitar player. And all those tools right now are taking out that personality to me. So I'm going to end it on that. But but that's the voice. That's that's our voice as musicians. How do I play the guitar? How do I play the drums? Oh, it's not perfect. It's not on the grid. Cool. Like that's what that guy does. You know, like I think that's 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 what gets me excited. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of always fighting back and forth between I don't know my own perceived obsolescence because there's always like. I don't know, like you're fighting perfection or you're fighting this idea of, you know, and in many ways with, with myself and looking at my own work, 
things that I had a problem with back in the day. Now I go, oh, well, that's what makes it sound unique. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's in, even if I have an issue with it, I'm like, no one sounds like that. Or maybe my vibrato, maybe I'm a little out of key there, but I'm like, but that is me. I mean, that does sound like me. So, you know, for better or for worse, you know? Uh, yeah. If you listen to like, um, if you listen to the beginning of Walk, like I don't even know what notes Phil's singing, but I but I understand what he's trying to do, and it comes across. Like it's like it's like sharp, and then it's flat, and then it's this, like I don't know, no, 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 like he gets in when he needs to. But to me, if that was like dialed in perfect, and it was doing this thing, and it was, it would just lose it because it's just something that. And then you listen to Freddie; he's getting into notes right, and he's he's such a great singer. But when as soon as you make stuff perfect to me, it gets a little, a little funky. And I, I agree. I think it's cool when things are little out. <laughs> Did you uh, single track the main vocal for most of it? It sounds like it. I don't. Yeah, yeah. And that like that never happens anymore. I always just single track. I think as soon as you double it up, it gets less bite, less personality. It makes it maybe stronger in some senses, but it also makes it weaker in other senses because you don't have like a performance. Yeah. So the way Joe Breezy works and our mindset is you just sing it till he believes it. Yeah. And if he believes it and he knows what you're trying to get, like that song, the one kind of song I can compare it to besides like stuff on Yeezus, like when I think of like on site where it's just like sporadic, I think of like um, Burn the Witch by Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Or it's just this, ten, 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 this this tension the whole time, and it's like a like and you're like okay, and the vocal had to match that sort of uh, like it's like it's just it's emotional and it's like it's not like da, 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 da. and I've seen people do covers on on YouTube and it's like it's sung so perfect but it's not that doesn't fit the sadness and the darkness of the song to me, um, but those are just choices right and like. Yeah, you could tune all that stuff perfectly. You could sing it more energetic. You could do all these things. But really, at the end of the day, you're trying to convey a, an emotion, a feeling. And I think one vocal is extremely powerful if you can get one performance that just feels like it's a guy, you yeah. know, instead of a bunch of things happening. Well, let's keep it real. Most people aren't good enough to where their voice can kind of uh, be that. You know, your voice is very thick and also it kind of, you know, you're you're one of the singers in kind of the history of rock that that has a gritty tonality yeah. that has kind of uh, it creates these different almost harmonic things yeah. that are that that are ha- happening there. Whereas, uh, you know, apparently like like Ozzy, for example, has to double his vocal like it doesn't. Apparently, it yeah. sounds like really bad until you double it. I feel like I'm the same way where I kind of have, you know, like that they think that comes across as nasally or something or whatever. It's very kind of mid range, mid range thing. And, or like, even, you know, you hear like John Lennon, right. It'll sound good. But once Paul's there together, yeah. all of a sudden it, it creates this new, this new dimension. And I just think there's just not that many, you know, not that people that's voices are that good. That always sound good as, as one vocal, all the, especially in like a chorus, that's the hard part where you can just, yeah. just do it as a, as a, as a chorus and actually, it actually works, but it it just stuck out to me because it's just it's just so rare. And I think of like um, like Soundgarden or something like you just just one vocal and you're like that's sick. <laughs> yeah, I think um, a lot of it is when you're in the studio and it's not mixed, you haven't done anything to it yet. It's scary, and so a lot of times we as musicians will go like, well, throw a, throw another voice on there, and then it, it instantly feels bigger and better. So you're like, okay, that's what we're gonna do. 
But I think it's, sometimes it's fighting those urges and just saying, well, as a listener, I just want to hear that band. I want to hear that guy. I just want to hear it and not have all the beefiness or whatever it is. So that's kind of our mindset though, is that it's going to be fine when it gets to the finish line, but we're just going to live with it and see. And then, but again, it's just, it's, it's, it's years of experience of going in there and seeing what does and doesn't work and knowing what a finished product's going to sound like, knowing that you could add a small doubler, like you could run it through a tape machine and it maybe it'll thicken up a little, or you could do a couple little things that are going to bring it out a little more, but don't fuck with it too much. But again, it's just philosophy and it's kind of just, but I also understand there's a lot of people that listen to that and it's like jarring because they're yeah. used to hearing a doubled vocal that's very strong and very, you know, it is what it is. So again, all these sort of little things you kind of forget about until the song comes out and people start talking about it. And then it's like, Oh, I forgot that was like a, a deal. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought anyone cared about, I forgot anyone cared about that, but yeah. Has your voice changed in the last seven years? Oh, for sure. I've been training with um, Seth Riggs um, and just getting back to way less like head voice. Okay. Bringing the head voice all the way down was kind of just really, not a good thing for me. I had so much um, more anchor before. And then as time went on, seeing higher and higher and higher, it just started getting thinner and thinner. Hmm. I think the stage was like an example of it getting thinner and thinner. I like that record. I mean, I love that record, but a lot of like Hail to the King and um, Nightmare were a forced chest voice. Now we're getting like a more anchored version. And the record is very the record has every type of singing I could possibly do on it from like Frank Sinatra esque to, <laughs> to, to just belting, to screaming, to something like nobody, which is more just like, I don't know. It's like rolling. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely changed. I mean, 41 now it's just a different thing, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun to work on it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know um, we were texting, you know, about, you know, you having some, some issues and, and, but it, it is a different sound. And I don't know if that's how it's recorded or the performance or the, the, the single tracking. I'm really interested to see how it comes comes across on, on, on the rest of the record. Because it's like you said about the emotional component and that to me it almost has this um, weary, exasperated yeah. kind of like desperation. Yep. You know, in the, in the, in the performance that lends itself. I don't know, I get like... Something about the, the music and the video, I guess by the end, I just get really emotional. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but so there's something, there's some, there's some depth there. And I, I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole song is an existential crisis. You know, the whole thing is it's, um, it's a, it's, it's an emotional lyric. It's an emotional song. It's emotional video. So, you know, the point was to kind of, pull emotion out of people when they, when they saw it. So we weren't done with the video until we felt something by itself without the music. We weren't done with the music till we felt something, you know, I have a little, little tidbit, but when Andy Wallace heard that song first, he actually shed a tear and he, and before he mixed it, right. We were just talking to him about what it is and what we want to get out of it. And he's like, he just, he was choked up and he's like, he's like, I've, he's like, guys, I, I'm sorry. I'm like choked up. Like that was, that, that made me feel something. And that was like the greatest compliment we could have got a guy that listens to so much stuff, 76 years old. And it just, it hit him. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's an emotional song for sure. 
So, you know, I'm sure people know this who listen to this show because I've, I've talked about it and I'll probably talk about it on the intro of this, but, you know, as far as how we know, we, how we know each other and how far we go back in that uh, Avenge opened up for God Forbid back in 2002. And it's this, it's a very particular thing when you're, you know, you're in an underground scene and you're, you're kind of fighting to move ahead and figure the whole thing out. And you get this, in many ways, in hindsight, it becomes an opportunity where you have artists that end up becoming, you know, at the top of the field. But at the time, of course, you don't, you don't know that. And, you know, with us, whether it's you guys or Kill Switch or Lamb of God bands that have gotten really to the, to the top of this, this genre. Um, I don't know. I just, I, th- I think about it all the time and it it's, you know, I think when you're trying to make your way and have success, at least for me, it was always like this examination of what are the components that make something go to a, to like a certain, certain level. And I remember we're out there and I still like, I knew at the time musically, like you guys, because this was on sounding the seventh trumpet. And to me, like, like that, I, I went, I went and even just checked it out today, just to like go back and I'm like, like the, you can hear the components, but it still feels very like elementary. And then, so in many ways, I don't even consider that guy your your first record. I consider that like a demo. And then, Waking the Fallen is like this is Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. Um, but there are things you know that that stick out. And for me, I remember we we're somewhere in like I don't know Syracuse or wherever the hell we were, and you're just out there like lifting weights, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like, and I, and me, you know. I was a little, you know, a little skinny at the time. I'm like, man, this dude looking kind of, looking kind of diesel. <laughs> and um, I like, and and I and I think said, I think you're only like a year or two younger than me. But at the time, it feels like when you have a, an opening band, you, you you think of them like these young bucks. We're gonna teach them the road, you know. <laughs> but I think about those little things um, yeah. about good habits, you know, and kind of seeing the bigger picture, even if you're really young. Um, did you have like a sense of even back then of like, okay, here's the path. Here's like the way to get to where we want to get, because obviously no one can see when you're some young band in a van that you're going to be like a platinum selling arena band. But did you have like an idea of what you needed to do kind of day to day to build those consistent habits, whether yourself or even as far as the band as a whole? I mean, I'd like to think that we definitely had confidence in ourselves to do, you know, we, we thought we knew Jimmy was a brilliant mind. We knew Brian was a a fantastic player, which I think blossomed into a brilliant mind as he got older. Um, I think, um, and then with my ability to kind of hone them in and like figure out what we, you know, they didn't know what metal or what hardcore was. They didn't know, like they were listening to Slayer and Testament and, and, and Brian's listening to Mr. Bungle and doing all these, they didn't know what that scene was. And I always like to give credit to the fact that we lived in orange County. We were super lucky. Like you put us anywhere else in the country. We probably don't work. The fact that we had all these friends like 18 visions and bleeding through and, and all these throw down and they were all willing to put us on shows and give us a chance. Cause we went to school with them and then be a part of a scene. If you actually think about like all these people that don't have that, like how hard that is to break it, break in. And 
home from school. Um, and I think that it takes luck. It takes circumstance and it also takes the drive to kind of navigate what that is. Right. Like we didn't want to get stuck in a scene. We saw that really early, even though the scene helped us have shows, we saw kind of had like a kind of a cap on it. Yeah. And I think there was always this kind of like, okay, let's just keep doing what we want to do and push forward and utilize Jimmy enough and utilize Brian enough, but you know, not go full pinkly smooth, like crazy, but we're, we're still playing this type of music and I'm educating them on what it is. And they're getting force fed, you know, bands like yourself and from autumn to ashes and a tray you like in the van, like we're listening to like what we're like, what I'm into at the time. So I just think I, I hate saying that we had, we knew the path because we really didn't. We probably thought we did, but we didn't. But I think it more came down to just being lucky that we all grew up to, next to each other. We didn't want to play the same instruments. We played different instruments. And then where we were, like Orange County was just this thing where labels were just signing anybody because you could go sell at Chain Reaction, but you didn't have to be good to sell at Chain Reaction. You just had to have friends from school that would come see you. And it was just kind of a thing where we, we got extremely lucky. And I, I look back on those early days of like warp tour, you know, getting on a label, hopeless records, Kevin Lyman says, you can play. You're on the Kevin says stage, which isn't even a stage. It's a, it's a dirt with a tent over it. And then like, we were freaking terrible, but we were doing something. We were screaming and it was on warp tour. It was the first band that was screaming on warp tour and it just became a thing. So I, I hate saying that we know the path because we just don't at this point though, I would just say, we're just following what we want to do. And that is the path. Do you remember the day we met? Not the day we met. No. I, I, so we, we met, it was actually at, um, furnace fest. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I remember furnace fest very well, but I want to say it was, was it 2001 or 2002? Maybe it was, I can't remember which, which, which year, but it was, it was, it was, I think it was actually 2001 because we were getting ready to tour together. And, uh, but I just remember how, eager and like positive you were you were just like stoked to be there yeah and i and dude i remember because we played the same stage and you guys played really early like maybe you're yeah. on i think it's like 11 30 or something yeah yeah it was like it was it was it was really early i, I remember, remember that and no one would come to the front of the stage dude our sh- so the funny thing is we played it was a uh, 18 visions and every time i die played right before us and it was packed and then we played yeah. like half the place left <laughs> Dude, no one watched us. It was like, you know, like those hardcore shows back when um, that was always a thing. Like, how do we get the crowd to actually come up to the front? Like, because yeah. they would just stand back with their arms crossed and it would just, there'd be like one guy standing there, like judging you. And then every, and we're just supposed to be up there jumping around. And oh, I remember that show. Well, I mean, so what I gathered from that tour and uh, Bleeding Through was also on that tour. And then Shadows Fall came in for a few days to headline, mm-hmm. I think three shows. And uh, Sworn Enemy did like a couple shows, and it was. But I, I think the biggest show on that run was like 200 people. It was not. It was not. It was our headliner, so it was. You know, it, it, it hurt us a little bit in our souls. But um, in many ways, I I think there was something in between Waking the Fallen and um. Uh, why does my thing keep screwing up? It keeps going out of focus. Anyway, I'll back up. There we go. Um, between Waking the Fallen and uh, City of Evil is like this announcement is like, M Shadows is not screaming anymore, right? <laughs> and t- try not to take this wrong the way, the wrong way, but I was like, that dude's not good at screaming. He's a good singer. Like, 
to me, like when you guys would try and be like really heavy, like in the hardcore sense or from that world, it did. It yeah. felt like um, like a guy wearing his dad's coat or something. <laughs> like it didn't. Yeah. It didn't. Like to me, when you guys leaned in to the rock influence, and like I said, you were you're like a rock singer. Like there's there's some people who like can sing, but there's some, there's the only a handful of people who are fucking rock and roll singers. Yeah. Does that make it make sense? Yeah, like, yeah, so, yeah. So it always felt like um you know when those elements especially waking the fallen like uh like chapter four like that whole fucking thing you're just like you're like this is it this is the business like don't you know and i think sometimes and this happens all the times with, with bands who end up getting into the hardcore scene where like maybe their sensibilities are a little bit lighter a little bit out of uh you know what is considered normal for that scene is it's like like you heard that phrase audience capture no so audience capture is essentially when you have someone who usually this is referred to like in the media space let's say you're like are you you have a youtube channel and all you do is you just listen to your audience and you set you end up creating stuff because you think they'll like it and you end up losing your authenticity and it's like yeah. it's this like yeah. cycle but a lot of people they'll go well we gotta have breakdowns because people like breakdowns, right? Yeah. And in order to be successful in the short term, you end up hurting yourself in the long term, right? And people end up getting stuck in the scene because they're like they have to do what everyone else is doing. But for you guys, like however you figured out that obviously there, there's certain elements that from that scene that always stick with you. You know, like you you know how to make something heavy, you know how to make something yeah. work in that regard. But when you hit that stride, it was like, that's it. That's the thing. This band could go. And I feel like it's when you, at least for me, I was never thankful. I was never that guy who would like be jealous of bands. It was more like I had stock in you guys. And yeah. I was like, these are my boys. And I just wanted, and every time you got bigger and something happened, it was like, I was just fucking happy for you guys. And I, and I just want, cause it's like, I grew up with Metallica and Megadeth and I wanted bands in our scene to get to that level you know 100 i, I so, felt the same way because i felt i felt how cool would it be for all of us to kind of come up in that era when it was like the popular music where every band was just firing on all cylinders like it'd be such a different thing than what we really grew up in we really grew up in like an underground scene that uh, things popped here and there but it never became like the Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, like the thing, you know, like the mainstream, like everyone's rocking it. And the well, dude you you guys got the last bit of it by when you were on TRL. That was like the last gas. It, it was the last bit of it, but I think it would have been a lot healthier if, if there was a bunch of us doing that. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like we always talked about it um, with our with our old management, where he'd say like, because he managed, he also was one of the guys that discovered Disturbed, and he said the thing that Disturbed had was there was a bunch of bands that were happening at active rock and, you know, active rock was still a big thing and it was this and that. And, and, and part of what was happening during city of evil and the white album and nightmare, it just felt like no, everyone was losing interest in our genre. And I don't know if that's a reflection of the mainstream. I mean, well, here's, they just want nothing here's, to do with it. Here's the connectivity is that because you guys were essentially the token metal band as part of the um, kind of uh, alternative warp tour scene. So yeah. there was a giant uprising of bands 
it just wasn't it wasn't totally metal adjacent it was fallout boy it was my chemical romance it was so because i think of your background you know kind of relation to the punk scene and warp tour and also a lot of times it's just aesthetic values like you guys just if you guys and my chem toured together it would make sense just because there's some musical similarities in terms of the grandiosity and some of this like kind of big epic rock songwriting, but there's also these visual components that tie it all together culturally that there was a lot of overlap. So to me, even though I'd say musically, like I was, I was thinking about this while I was, cause I was listening to stuff. I'm like, is Avenge more culturally like metalcore or new wave American heavy metal? And then now I'm thinking about, I'm like, but it's maybe like a few that you kind of like, you know, that Venn diagram between these, uh, these kind of, uh, a collection of different cultures um yeah we've, we've always felt more comfortable in warp tour than we did on Ozfest. we yeah. just we just really related to that the ethos we really you know people like tim armstrong fat mike like we really looked up to those kind of guys and um even when afi popped it was like that was really cool to us like afi was a big influence then we went over to Ozfest, and it was main stage and small stage like get a golf cart and go over there if you want to hang out with the smaller bands or they come over here and like get your own, like different credentials it was very weird and it was like whoa that doesn't fly on warp tour you know like yeah. you're lucky if you have a bus on warp tour and if you have a bus then everyone's hanging out on it and we're doing barbecues like it was just so different like kevin lyman didn't like play that right it wasn't like you could be the biggest band and you might go on at 12 o'clock when the doors open just depending on what he was feeling that day um we just really always related to that. We, we, we did also relate a lot to our scene, which was the shadows fall, you know, God forbid from autumn to ashes, like that whole thing. Yeah. But then there was like another version of that from the East coast, which we weren't involved in, which was like the Thursdays and the, and the, that sort of thing that was getting signed to Island records. And it was like this, that was taking off. We never really felt at home anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was like kind of, but I think that, that kind of makes it work because no one really feels like you're too stuck. And we didn't really ever care if we annoyed a large portion of any certain <laughs> group because we never felt like it mattered anyways. So, but it's interesting. It's it's interesting because it just kind of feels like it's floating. It just kind of a th- was a thing that dipped its toes in a bunch of different areas. Yeah. I mean, I, again, this is go, goes back to like being, part of the scene but also being like seeing you guys from, from a distance i remember seeing you on um a download i think it was 2006 and this is when you were playing like walk every day oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was still like a lot of those songs from from city of evil which were very thrashy up tempo lots of notes you know yeah. and like it's weird because i I'm t- i love how motherfuckers motherfuckers have revisionist history with like how albums are perceived and and stuff and to me like city of evil obviously it has backcountry which was like the breakout hit song which opened up all these doors but for me got for me you guys didn't like it didn't click over to what i wanted out of you guys until the self-titled because it 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 slowed down and it's got it got groovier the the riffs were a little more pronounced the the hooks hooked over a a, a a little more and to me, like right then, that's when 
Like I'm telling you, watch. I remember watching that thing at download where it's like people were feeling it, but it wasn't fully there. And I, I remember, I don't know if you told me this or if it was like reading an interview where you guys had toured with, I think Maiden or something and saying it was like, you know, it, you just didn't, it didn't really totally, you were like grinding to like win over people in Europe. It was like this period, but somehow somewhere between that album, and the next album, it like, it all seemed to, to click. And then it seemed like you're, you know, like the Venn diagram was like, Avenge is like grown ass people met. Like you guys were just, you got subsumed within the larger thing of rock and metal. Like, so to me at that point, I'm like, no, you guys are up there with Metallica and ACDC. Like you're like that kind of band, like grown ass people with mortgages. Go uh, <laughs> is, it, am I, is that, am I wrong in that? Or like my you're perception 100% of that? Right. City of evil now top hundred metal records of all time in Rolling Stone was not that right. It was, it came out six months into it. It was a terrible reaction, like a terrible, like people hated beast and the harlot. They hated all these things. It was speed fast. TRL saved that record. Yeah. Cause it got all these normies and people that didn't listen to whatever we were all doing. And it became a big record. Then we started playing places like Ozfest download festival toured with maiden and metallica and no one got it we're yeah. playing these <laughs> and like literally everyone's just sitting there and like you're totally right like it was like totally now now everyone will be like i was there it was going off it was crazy no it wasn't we were like fucking just lost up there because none of the sound was um kind of translating yeah and one of the biggest reasons we made a song like critical acclaim or scream from like the white album was because it was a reaction to watching Metallica every night play. And we're like, Oh my God, like that is how you sound good in a big place. Yeah. So we started doing, you know, like just making like these riffs that were just, that were going to be like imagining them with just a kick drum in a big place, but still not going full ACDC, right? Like still what we do. But that was, it was a complete reaction. And then, you know, years later, everyone, you're right. They're like, oh, I would kill to go see City of Evil played in full at one of these things. Like, no, you wouldn't. Like, shit well, sucked. Well, <laughs> I I like all your albums. And I think there there's something, you know, there's just, there's a lot of dense songwriting on that record. Like, like going back and I, I was looking at, I'm like, the last, I think like six songs, the shortest song was like seven minutes long. I'm like, yeah. it's just these Prague fucking adventures and it's yeah. sick it's i mean i as a especially as a guitar player and what my favorite thing about you guys is i think you guys are one of the more brilliant bands with melody i think that's the strongest piece of the band is just very complex melodies that are very in tune with what i like and yep. you know just in music in general but in 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 metal, I would say it's it's a lost art, but it's very few bands explore melody in the same way you guys do. That really, you know, almost reminds me of like classical music or scores or stuff where you really get you know hit you in the hit you in the feels, you know, with with, with the, the way your songs envelop, and that's you know, and that record I think does that very well. Yeah, I think City of Evil. I think it's a lot of parts that are just strung together in this like blot of like <laughs> harmonies and melodies and 
Brian always calls it, you know, polishing a turd because he's like, some of the songs aren't the greatest, but we did a lot to like, like, hey, look at this. Look Hype at this. It up. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, add a harmony here, do this. Oh, background vocals here. Like, a lot of tricks. I think what I think the stage is the much more sophisticated, interesting version of City of Evil. And I think because we're messing with time signatures, we're messing with dissonance, we're messing with, um, just so many different tools. Um, but there's going to be people that they put on city of evil and it's like this very accessible, but under the guise of Prague in a way. Yeah. Um, city of evil is an interesting one to me. I listen to that and I go like, I don't even know what we were thinking, which is kind of fun. You know, like, it's like, that's what you want. You know, it's like youthful, reckless abandonment. You'd have no clue. You don't care. The six, seven minute songs, just keep it going. Keep it going. This thing doesn't know when to end. Keep it going. <laughs> like, I don't know what we were thinking, but it's, but it's cool. It's fun to have for sure. Well, you know, we, we've kind of used these references, whether it's tool or, or radiohead, which are very specific references to me because yeah. in me as being someone who studies this stuff and, and tries to figure out why does this work? Why doesn't this work? Why does this band you know, millionaires in this band, you know, fighting over a, a peanut butter sandwich. And, <laughs> you know, and, and one of those things is being a, a band that has a super high level talent, but this idea that having a hit kind of buys you this leverage to be more of an artist, right? So having that country become what it was uh, in the midst of this pretty much a prog record. And by the way, it's a fucking weird song to be a hit, right? There's a like a minute long harmonized guitar solo at sweet picking after the first chorus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like it makes it, you know, amongst yeah. the backdrop of what was, and I get it around that time there was, you know, shit like Chop Suey being a hit around that time. Like that doesn't really happen anymore, but it, there was, yeah. it was a little more eclectic, I think as, as far as what people were, were willing to accept on radio or MTV at that time. But it makes me think about this idea that a lot of artists that at a certain level, and, and, and by the way, keep in mind, none of this was really on my radar until I was in Bad Wolves and had songs on the radio and kind of saw this different side of the industry. Is this, you know, we need a hit. We need, you know, if we, if we, don't, have, if we, if we don't have this thing that connects on this broader level, um, it's kind of tough to make the whole machine work. Right. Yep. Are, are you like a band that has stumbled into hits or has it been a point of like, like you said, like you're going, hey, I'm hearing the sad but true and going that works. Is does that filter into, you know, the self-titled and nightmare and, and the kind of records that followed up after that? I think we've stumbled into them. We never roll in to actually try to write a hit, but I'm very aware when something is like, oh, that that's going to be something that will resonate to a lot of people on the radio. Um, when night, when we wrote nightmare, I remember handing it into the label and, and we have a good deal with the label because they don't actually hear anything till we're done mastered handed in. That's it. They don't hear demos. They don't they just stay out and they're, they're, they're good with that. Um, I get a call from Craig Aronson, who's our A&R guy. And he's like, love the record. Love the record. He's, he's passed away since he, he was, a great guy. He was always fighting for us. Um, yeah. He does. He, he did us the used Mike Hem, um rancid distillers. Like he had like the cool, the cool kids club. That he understood what you. Yeah. Had but he's like, you know, nightmare. 
could be a big song, but you're just screaming too much. You gotta, you gotta, can you sing that vocal? The na, 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 na. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not screaming. That's just my voice. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm belting it, but you just got it. Can you go back in there? Just do me a favor and like, give me, I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm just, I'm no. So I called management. I'm like, make sure they never call me again about this. Right. Like, cause it was like one of those things anyways, but it's funny. Cause I always felt like a song like that. It was like obvious to me. It was like, this will do well. And if you think about it, the only time we didn't trust ourselves and not, not many people know this. The only time we didn't trust ourselves was on the white album. We all knew afterlife should have been the first single biggest yeah. song obvious. We have a day when the record labels like, Hey, can we come in? And Tom Wally was the head of the label at the time. And Tom Wally's brilliant. He, you know, had everything to do with like Tupac and now he's with ghost and Marilyn Manson. He's been amazing. And he was the one that signed us to Warner. So the whole label comes in and they're like, so what are you guys thinking? Blah, blah. Come off of backcountry, whatever. We're like, Oh, afterlife. So we play it for him and he's sitting there, you know, listening. He's like, he's like, I don't know what else you guys got. This sounds very warped tour, very poppy. And we're just like, no, bro, this is like, this song will be a big, literally the only time we've ever gotten taken off of our initial gut feeling, which was like, you got to lead with afterlife. Afterlife's the song. Afterlife. And it never went to radio. It never became a real single. We made a video for it later. Almost and now Easy was like, the first one, right? Almost Easy. And then we went with, we went with, um, it was Almost Easy. Then we put out Critical Acclaim. And then we put out Scream. We did everything but fucking Afterlife. And it was like, dude, you got that song. And I love all those. I love all those songs. But you know, but it was instrumental that record. I think the song that we that I when I I, that is the most penetrating at that that album is "Little Piece of Heaven." It's the oh for sure. It's the thing that you know that just it's elevated. It's like, oh, these motherfuckers had this in their back pocket. Like, let's game over. Let's all go home. And if you think about the time we were actually scared to put that out because we also showed the label that song. We said, we're going to also do an EP with like a Halloween EP. And we did this song and we played it for them. And they, and I remember this guy, his name's um, Grover turns around. He's like, if you guys don't put that on the record, you're fucking idiots. And we're like, really? You think so? Like we didn't think they would get it. Yeah. Um, And so then we're like, Wow. And then it started like people started listening. Like people like my dad, like I, you know, you, you always kind of parameter of your dad, like you know, like my dad grew up listening to metal and like, you know, like classic rock. And always, he he never got little B7. Then it was just like least favorite event sevenfold song, right? But then you had other people that were just like, This is fucking brilliant. How can you not put this out? And little piece of heaven to me is the most important song on that record or that whole era for us because it allowed us to have the freedom to really feel like, oh, we're just going to do whatever we want. Yeah, People like weird shit. <laughs> and so it just became one of those things where that was a freeing song to put out because it was just different. Well, it's it's weird, but it's it's just epic, catchy. Like you can, like it's just, it's, it's the hooks are massive. And yeah. again, like I said, you guys, your melody is just on a, on another level. Then what's fucked about that song is I was I was singing along to it. I was doing something. And I was like looking up the words, and I was like, I never realized 
I'm like, this is the most. This might might as well be a fucking Cannibal Corpse song. Yeah. It's fucking like you. You lucky that the, the authorities didn't come looking for you after this song to see if you had any bodies buried in your backyard. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be canceled <laughs> later. You know, like someone will figure it out and they'll be on TikTok and like, why are we letting Avenged Sevenfold get away with this? You know, but I think what's so funny about that song is it's just there's so much irony in it and just how 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 aloof this guy is with just like these lyrics just like oh i got a heater for your thighs and then there's that girl getting like humped in the bed and she's dead it's like i love watching reactions to that video because people are like no they stop it like no well it's you went there well i what i love about it is the 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 dichotomy between delivery and lyrical content that if you, you can say something that's really dark and f- just f- truly fucked up, but in a very playful, yes. like, I guess it's, I guess it's that kind of a, a musical, like it almost feels like it should be in a musical or something where it's, you're having fun with evil. a terrible subject. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's great. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so one, one, one of the kind of questions I had, and by the way, I don't know how long I have you, and if, if you got to run at any point, just just. Oh, let I me was know. thinking like till four, if that's cool. Oh yeah, oh damn, damn, that's. that's you put very two generous. hours. You put you put two hours on the thing. I always put that much just because, oh, okay, not because I, you know, if, if you gave me an hour, I'd be happy. But you know, oh, okay, I feel okay. like I could talk to you all day because I I, I have a lot of stuff and I there's yeah, a, yeah. Lot of, a lot of want to cover. But you know, we just let it go where it goes. Let's um, do it. But you know, there's you know the next kind of phase of of the career, you know, like you said, nightmare to me is this like solidifying moment in the band and kind of uh, hitting this point of, oh, this is this is like no joke. And you start to see the those first week record sales and the chart positions and all this, but it's also, you know, the last record that, you know, Jimmy co-wrote and all of a sudden it's like, it's obviously like this is this dividing point of before and after of, of what the band is um how how did things kind of change for you i guess from an an existential level of just being in this thing that's your whole life but without this guy that was like kind of part and parcel with making it what it was which was everything yeah um it was terrifying it was sad it was you know many years of therapy, many yeah. years of just like emptiness, but musically, um, the weird thing about it was that me and Brian wrote a lot of songs together. Jimmy wrote kind of on his own a lot and then he'd come in and have things like, so that's why his songs are so clearly his songs. Um, you know, and not all of them made it, you know, like people like they love to glorify. It's like everything he touched is brilliant. And it's like, I have a, I have a million demos in my computer of things that just weren't going to cut it. Right. Yeah. And so I, it was all, but it was always one of those things where you could guarantee Jimmy was going to have two to three really fucking awesome ideas. Like things that were just like, oh, I would have never thought of that. Or I'm so glad you, you, you came with that, you know? Yeah. And because he was so good with instrumentation, melody, and also drumming, he always had, it wasn't like he was, he had it all planned out in his head, which was brilliant. You didn't have to sit there and go like, now what's the drummer going to do? What's the groove on this? What's this? It was like, that was kind of the whole package with him. It was like, no, this is what I'm going to be doing here. And this is why it's going to move. And you know, like even like a riff, like, um, like almost easy. Like that was all 
he came up with that. So it's like, it's all based around rhythm. Right. And it's like, so it's kind of a cool thing to have someone that's going to come in with a few things like that. Every record, it takes a lot of the weight off. Like I got to come up with six, seven, eight things. And I know that nine, 10, 11 are going to be fucking done. I don't have to worry about that guy. So not having him after the fact, and then also trying to go through his drums, also taking apart what he was doing and then seeing Portnoy have to kind of struggle his way through some of it. Yeah. And, and Portnoy is one of the best drummers in the world, but just a different thinker than what Jimmy was doing. So you're listening to some of Jimmy's demos and it's like, well, why is he doing that? What's he doing here? And then it all makes sense, but not to somebody that doesn't think like that at first. Right. And so it was a struggle. It was a struggle musically. We wanted to finish out his ideas. Um, we, we wanted to use as much of him as we could on that record. And then after that, you know, you're, you're back to the drawing board. And what I thought was interesting about nightmare. And I think nightmare is kind of this, like, it's the, it's the, I would say it's the least um, creative record. I think hmm. it's kind of accumulation of everything that we had done before in a really elevated, cool way. If I had to like, think about like it. Well, to me, it's not my favorite record, but the high points are some of the highest points of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, like from a top to bottom, I don't feel like I go back to it as much as other albums, but the best songs from it, like yeah. the, basically my favorite moment in any event sevenfold song is the bridge in Buried Alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, That's a good and, one. And I was like, <laughs> I was, I was driving, this, I was, this, I was working at a Duff's bar in Brooklyn, metal bar. I don't know if you've ever been there. And mm -hmm. I was going, I was driving through the, through the tunnel and that part came on and I was like getting my fucking Axl Rose, you know, with the band get, right? I'm just, this dude saw me just, this dude started dying laughing that me, I was just feeling it. And you know what? I didn't break my shit. I just kept grooving. I was like, this is my favorite part. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah. I'm gonna feel like that's, <laughs> but that's like, that's my favorite, favorite part. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, 
Dancing Like an Idiot, and Listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. I just think we weren't trying to experiment as, as much and, and we went like, it was a very, um, I don't feel like there's a bunch of like wild edges in that record where the yeah. white album, it feels like, yeah, like what's going on here. Give the people um, what they want kind of record. Yeah. It was weird. It's like, I don't, I just felt like we, we had, ex- we had done so much weird stuff before that we wanted to make a record that was like just badass. Like, but, it, but then it became sad, you yeah. know, Jimmy died and then it became sad. Like, and it became like a really emotional record. Um, but that's one record that I listened to. And I think I know it has a lot of weight. It means a lot to the fan base. Um, but I think in terms of musical ideas, I think it's a lot of traditional things that are just done, I would say pretty well. Um, but not, not really pushing the boundaries of like, you know, what we've done in other records in terms of like ideas or, or kind of what we're going for. But then again, the probably at that time, Nightmare is your biggest song yeah. ever. So it, it, and like I said, the, the chart numbers just going up yeah. as a live band, you're doing bigger venues and you're kind of moving up that, that ladder into this upper echelon. And then that leads into hail to the King, which I know we, I know we talked, talked a lot about it earlier in terms of uh, a little bit of like what the reception was that record. But I think again, this, this, you know, hindsight kind of creates some different narratives around this. And now we look back and you go on Spotify and you look on YouTube and you go, well, it's the band's biggest song. It has multiple songs from that record are some of the biggest songs. It's the most listened to record. So haters choke on that. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, that's that record to me, like that record to me is like, obviously us trying to really, it was the same sort of thing as the Metallica tour on a different level. So one thing I noticed that the band was really big and this is like when you're living in a moment, like it's, you probably some, you have weird things that you think about. Right. And, and a lot of it, like not just being grateful for what you are and what you've accomplished, but always, you know, like the human nature to always like, well, what's next? Like, where can we go from here? And it was the same sort of thing where I'd go into bars, I'd go into places, never playing Avenged Sevenfold. Like I was like, what is it about ACDC and the Black Album and like certain things that when I walk into a bar, it's all they play. And so we just started like going, okay, well, we think Nightmare, we've really tapped out what we think that sound is. Yeah. Every riff we're playing, we're kind of getting like, oh, oh. like, you know, you kind of like look at your instrument going like, oh, like, <laughs> like we couldn't get inspired. Right. Yeah. So we just started taking classic songs and just ripping them apart. 
and going like, well, why does this work? Why does this work? Why does this work? And we just got so deep into doing that. And I was like, we just need songs that like, I want to, I want to have some songs that you can play at a fucking hockey game or like it's in the arena. Like, why is it always enter Sandman or this or that? And we just went a little too far in that direction. And, but what kind of disappoints me with all of it is a lot of those songs are our biggest songs. So it I, kind of, so it kind of bums me out. But that's what, but the too far thing, I think you only think that because you let the fucking, the, the critique get in your head. Are I you actually think when, when I would listen back to this means war and sad, but true, even before we put it out, I was like, this is too far, but it fucking <laughs> slams. And I'm like, so I'm just going to fucking go with it because it slams. And I was like, I even thought to myself, I was like, I'm going to like record this thing. And then if it's, but then like the production on it and the mix and everything sounded so big to me. I was like, fuck it, dude, I'm putting this out because this shit slams. I was like the, it just slams. And so, but I, but I, I was definitely cognizant. I think there's some really original things on that record, like planets, um, Requiem. There's a bunch of things that are very like organic and cool, but then there's things that are, even Hill to the King gets like this thunderstruck thing, but really it's, it's very black album esque. It's yeah. not very, it's just got a guitar that goes through the whole thing, but really like, it's just very like Sandman in a way. Dude, that's it's songs like that are the reasons why 12 year olds pick up guitars. Yes. Yes. You know, and there's that, that discipline, right? The discipline of simplicity. Yeah. And in some ways I feel like you guys always had that, you know, when, when it comes to like a riff, or groove, Riffs, right? Yes, Go, yes. Going back to you know, bum, 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 in the music video, you got the kid playing the guitar. Like there was always something of like, there's a technical element here, but we're gonna keep it within this range that's um, palatable, right? To even yeah. uh, uh, someone who's not a sophisticated uh, musician. Um, but that whole thing and being, I'm telling you, I was invested in that conversation so much that I wrote a fucking two thousand page essay. Yeah about it right because yeah. to me the inherent hypocrisy there from the perspective of the metal elitists and this goes from a fan perspective and the kind of press conversation um is this idea that in the metal scene it's okay you can rip off 50 slayer riffs 100 meshuga rhythms 15 at the gates riffs nine fucking hate read breakdowns and no one cares. You know why? Because everyone does it. There's 50 yeah. Meshuggah soundalikes. There's 100 Slayer wannabes. There's 10 bands on the festival sound like Hate Breed. But we don't like it when you rip off the Black Album or inspired by the Black Album or Guns N' Roses. Why? Because th that means you're like, you're like, uh, your ambitions are too high. Like, who do you think you are? Yeah. You think, oh, you think, you think you're like, and if you think about it, no one, the, where were the the Guns N' Roses copycat bands? They weren't. They didn't exist. Yeah. Where were the the Black Album copycat bands? Like you would think the biggest metal album of all time, there'd be fifty bands trying to rip it off, but it didn't happen to me. No. It was and it was you guys, Five Finger, Death Punch. I think you know leaned leaned into this a little bit with that kind of big four on the floor energy. Volbeat, but Volbeat to me, when I heard their Metallica influence, it was almost like more like Load era yeah. Metallica. 
But it, but every now and again, you hear like it in a in a Nickelback song. You'd hear some like kind of black album stuff. But to me, it was untapped ground because people were afraid. And there's this thing within the and this goes not just the metal scene. This is in the hardcore scene. This is in the punk scene. It's this like fear of success, fear of wanting too much, fear of like, oh, you're getting too big for your britches. Yeah. Idea that I think is. And we've had this moment, right? Because you hear Pantera talk about it after uh, Vulgar. Oh, we didn't want to be Metallica. We didn't want to make our Black album. Slipknot kind of hit this thing where they're like, do they, you know, like, which way do you go? Do you keep it heavy? Do you get more extreme? Or do you cross over? At one point, does Slipknot become Stone Sour, right? Yep. <laughs> um, but to me, like, you guys had the balls to go for it, and you didn't pull the punches, and then it worked and to me, the proof's in the pudding because it's years yeah. later. And that's what, like you said, when you're in the bar, when you're at the hockey game and that shit comes comes on, motherfuckers' heads are nodding and people are singing along. Yeah. And that, that the thing that lasts, you know, so I will always, you know, argue tooth and nail for in, in uh, support of that record and those songs. So that's my well, little- I appreciate it. And I think that one thing people- one people that gets really misconstrued is they act like we're copying the riffs when really it was a template. Yeah. Like that, those, those riffs are not the same. Those are not the same chords they're not the same melodies, but we had a template of like, why does this work? Oh, key change there. Oh, this happens here. It was the greatest learning experience of me and Brian's life, like learning why those songs work so well. And, um, just like it was, it was woodshed, right? Like we were just woodshedding. We were in there fucking tearing songs apart and going, oh, this happens to here. They're doing that here. And this is why it's got, this is the tempo that's got this feel. And it was, it was one of the greatest learning experiences, which ended up setting us up for the stage because then we could break all the rules, but we knew the rules. Yeah. We knew the rules really well at that point. But this, but this makes me think about this, what I said earlier about knowing the DNA of why a, a band might work. Mm -hmm. but and even though you said you weren't really doing that um clearly there was on that record of, we were yeah, yeah but that but that that but to me that's not even making a band work that's songcraft mm -hmm. you know that's a whole different element of going you know and i guess maybe this kind of ties into my question about trying to write a hit or what that means right or like you know but understanding that stuff like you'll hear about um you know, great writers, they're like, oh, I have, uh, they'll just write Hemingway. Like they'll rewrite the words of Hemingway to understand what that means. Or like yeah. some, sometimes being a cover band, right? Some of the best, whether it's Van Halen or Pantera, Stained and Godsmack who are cover bands, but being a cover band because you play so many of these great classic songs, you learn kind of the elements of what what makes that great. Do you, um, do you remember there was a lawsuit uh, the um, blurred lines, they yep, got sued by by the um, uh, Marvin Gaye, right? Yep. Do you have you heard the Marvin Gaye song yep. that they sued over? Yeah. What What do you think? What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting because it's like very percussive, right? It's like the same percussion. It's like it's like it's a, not what it's it was a cowbell. I think it's a cowbell or whatever. It's in the song. Yeah, there's like it's it's like obviously the groove was yeah. pulled from that. But is there any? note similarities or anything i i can't tell to me it's when i hear it and like i said i haven't done an actual like breaking down the chords mm -hmm. and the changes and the tempo and all that 
But to me, the fact that they won, right? Yeah. Set a really bad precedent. And I don't know I how agree. often. I agree I with that. I don't know how often this happens, um, but there's this kind of fallacy about ownership of music where it's like, dude, man, you're going E minor to C major, motherfucker. You don't own that. It's a yeah. blues riff. Like, no one can own the blues scale. Like, yeah, this those are tough. Yeah, like it, I don't, I don't really get some of that, and you see this all the time, like um, where now pop artists, if they catch anything, they'll actually credit uh, the, you know, some an influence preemptively, yeah, so that it avoids. So this happened with uh, look at what look look what you made me do by uh, Taylor Swift, and she credited the guys from um, what's that? Uh, I'm too sexy. Uh, Whatever, oh, the okay. whatever the fuck. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, I know. Right said, right said, Fred. Um, and I'm like, you can own a fucking vocal cadence. Yeah, that doesn't strange. that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I mean, there's only so many combinations yeah. of rhythms that you can say words in. Yeah, well, the the <laughs> word line one's weird to me because I think it is only this beat. And to me, how when there's you, not even not even notes. Beat? Yeah, when there's not notes. I mean, it's clearly they took this beat or something like it, and it's it's clear that it's pretty close. But when you don't have notes or tonality or anything happening, like that's a, a far stretch for me, right? And and I also think there's like we there's there was one recently where there's a huge hit that Kill Bill song, the SZA girl. Okay. Yeah. Like people are saying it's ripped from Backcountry from the solo. Yeah. Da, 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 I don't think I've heard it. And it's like, I just think you got to be crazy to go sue somebody for that. It's like, it's just a, a, a mode. It's yeah. a thing that it's just, a, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Wagner going to start suing. <laughs> oh, bro. Those, those classical artists could sue all of us. Yeah. Well, you know, luckily there's um, some time limitations on those, those, those copyrights. Well, but, by the way, have you seen the, have you heard the new Weezer records? Like, no, they're actually taking samples from all that, and he's singing over it with their own drums and stuff. It's awesome. Samples of what? Of what? Like Bob old Man? classical pieces. Oh, I gotta check that out. Check I'm out a song ready. called "Taste Like Pain." All right, I'm ready. It's it's incredible. That's that sounds that sounds badass. Um, no, but I think what they borrowed was a vibe of a song, which is like to me that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Like oh that uh, let's make a song like that. You yeah. know, and by the way, in 10 years or hell, it might have happened last week. Someone's go, let's make a song that's kind of like Blurred Lines. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I have no clue where it came from. Yeah. I always have things like that, even with like Kanye. I'll like, listen to something. I'm like, I, I like that. And then I find out that he took a sample and did all this stuff from something that was like some music from some continent that I would never even like know what it is that he got it from. And then like you hear the real version, you're like, oh, like he, he did that. And then I'm, I'm copying that. It's, Dude, hip hop is hip hop is egregious. I mean, every great hook on like a Dr. Dre re record is from sick some sick R and B song from the seventies. All of them. Every hook, yep. every, like ninety percent of it, and you're like, Dre is brilliant, which he is. Yeah, but it is this thing that I think this call out culture within metal and rock just does not exist in yeah. other other genres. But I mean, hip hop changed everything, right? Uh, yeah. in, ter in terms of that, but, you know, I think there's a, a preciousness to it and it's a kind of, you know, 
just I don't know. I just I I think it's not helpful, and there's an element of it within the metal community that it's like we all the most hated bands are the biggest bands, and I feel like it wasn't like that in 1985. I mean, maybe they people hated you know hated quote unquote you know like hair bands that they thought were cheesy and big, but you know I and I don't know. There's this there's this big. You're totally like, right. People love Kid Cudi. They love Drake. They love all the biggest artists in the genre say those two, but in metal, if you like the biggest artist, then you're a fucking poser, right? Or are they, and it's just such a weird thing. Like there's no like, let's lift it up. It's a lot of like, you're right. It's a lot of weirdness. But it's also keep in mind, what is it? It's a vocal minority that exists on message boards and blogs and yeah. you know, Reddit pages and Twitter. Cause you go to the show and who's headlining the festival. It's five figure death punch that everyone wants to talk yeah. shit about. It's, you know, it's disturbed that people want to talk shit about, uh, but it, it's this vocal minority, but the normal people, the people who have money to buy tickets and buy records and buy t-shirts, they're not on there. They're living their lives. They're raising yeah. their kids. They're going to work, Yep. <laughs> you know? So it's, you know, it's, it's just, and by the way, I, I never really discovered that until Bad Wolves took off because we were one of those bands that all the people on the internet hated, but I'm like, but the show is sold out, <laughs> you know? So, so in 2000, like to go off that point in 2011, we made a video game and we hired this kid to do animated stuff in between the cutscenes, And he was straight out of college, you know, kind of like out of this school. And, and he started doing these things. And then when the game came out and people started really like, talking shit on his work. He came in, he's all bummed. I'm like, Hey, well, what, like what's wrong? And he's like, man, I used to be one of those guys that would sit on YouTube and just like talk shit on everybody's shit. And he's like, and now that it's happening to me, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm like so depressed that they don't know the budget I had. They don't know what that like. And I'm like, dude, this is going to happen. Like you have, you're in this game. It's like a success as you get bigger and you go through it. But it's so weird because it it like weighs on you a little bit, you know? It's like you're a human and you're sitting there going like fucking weird, for dude. Like we're not built for we're not built No, to have so everybody. If, what I'm saying, like, if I'm talking to you and we're in the same room and you're like, Hey Doc, man, that, that guitar solo, it's just it's just not good enough. You need to, you need to work on it. Or man, your band sucks. And you feel that pain or whatever, the rejection or the criticism. Our brains don't know the difference between that and someone who we don't know putting that commentary. Like it hits us the same way. And the only way you can deal with it, I think, is you have to develop thick skin. You have to get a bunch of, you have to just do. And I, you know, when I once I started writing, I remember I was, I was writing for VH1, and I mean, dude, hate like like hate. You know, some band would post it and like a thousand comments. This writer's a fucking idiot. And when you just that happens with your music and people hate on it and your writing and a bunch of, and you just do it after a while. You're like, Oh, this is just part of it. And either you just have to not read it or just learn to take with a grain of salt and go, you know, cause and I think there's sometimes there's criticism that is helpful. They go, Oh, that actually is a good point. You yeah. know, if, if you, but you have to have the wherewithal and, and, and have a, an ego that's healthy enough to accept some of that. You know. Yeah, I think it's interesting because you, you want to take a sneak peek at it, right? It's like the human curiosity, like, oh, let's check out what people <laughs> are saying. But there's no there's no doubt that when you walk around the world, 
and you don't check anything, you don't, you're checked out. It just simply doesn't exist. Like your life is great. You're doing nothing changes. And it's as soon as you go down there and you're like, I'm going to check it out. It's, um, it's an interesting thing that we put ourselves through that. Like what, what kind of vindication are you going to get? Even if everyone loves it and if everyone hates it, how are you going to feel? It's almost like a weird thing. Like, cause well, it's just weird. Well, I, I think there's this element where sometimes, you, and I think very much in, you know, being that lots of my friends are metal musicians and rock musicians where there's a lot of people I know personally that would rather get tons of praise from people they respect and like maybe other artists and have their band be smaller rather than have like a band that sells millions of records and sells out stadiums but everyone hates. Yeah. Like there's a there's a big kind of social value in getting respect. Right? Yeah. And it's it's this very interesting thing and I've I've seen it in the, and luckily, you know, God forbid was one of those bands that was like a band's band that, you know, everywhere we went, you, you got some respect, but we struggled in some of the commercial elements that where I'm like and then with Bad Wolves is the opposite. It was a bunch of people talking shit on the internet and right out the gate, it was kind of successful on these all these other fronts. And it was, and I could take it with a grain of salt, um, but it was a very informative experience about, and I, and knowing people that go, would you be in that band that you, you think is shot, but they're, but you, you're living in a big house and you got a Mercedes and your college tuition for your kids is paid for, but people... <laughs> It's a weird thing, right? It is a weird thing. It's a weird thing. We actually went through that with this record, to be honest. Um, I think everyone in the band kind of hit a wall and yeah. everyone just said, um, I know it for, for Brian, this definitely happened where he didn't want to play anything that he didn't want to play. What, what, is that, what does that mean that he doesn't want to play? Like, is, are, you, like are, you, are you telling him to play something? Meaning... When he picked up a guitar, he was completely uninspired and like sick over the thought of doing what that instrument does over and over and over and over and over and technically getting really, really good at it. He didn't feel like he could express himself with what he wanted to build. And you should talk to him because he went through a lot on this whole thing where it was like, all he wanted to do was feel inspired and when he picked up a guitar, it was like, dun, 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 Okay, what, what am I doing here? I know every scale. Pentatonic, you know, like diminished. But nothing, it was like, how many times can we retread this, right? And so for him, and for me as well, it was kind of like, what are we going to do to excite ourselves? Like, what are we going to do to like, want to go up there and be like, this is what we're presenting to you. Like, this is what we're fucking passionate about. And that, that led us to go outside of the guitar and then figure out how do you get the guitar to do the things that you want it to do. Right. Like, like that sound on nobody, right? Like that, how is Brian going to take that and bring it back into how you play it on the guitar? Like a thing that he feels proud. Dude, it's stuck in my right? head. Yeah, it's like, ex- it, like it, like it, like it follows me around. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of terrifyingly <laughs> like annoying now. No, uh, it's like, but in it, but in a good, I'm telling you, man, it's that those little things, but 
it, you know, you're like, man, so that song's kind of crazy. But then why, why can't I stop thinking about that sound? <laughs> well, that's the thing. And like, so take a guy like him who musically, I respect him so much, but that's what he chooses to do yeah. because that, that is inspiring to him and just doing it the whole time. And then what do we do? We sit there and go, okay, well, we're singing in minor the whole time. And then we're going to sing in major on the same riff and just put piano chords to accentuate the major. And then we're going to drop it back down to minor. Things like that were exciting to us instead of where does the riff go next? Where, where do we, and that's, well, and that's all you can do is be happy with what, where you're at, I guess, is my, is my round way of saying that. And even if you're bummed out on the instrument you're playing or you're uninspired by music, then go make your own thing that makes you inspired, right? Like it's, and so it's a kind of a com com combination of, yeah, I know that we could probably write another nightmare, but I'd have to deal with Brian puking in the corner the whole time, like fucking holding his nose, you know, cause that's just where he's not there right now. Yeah. And so that's, that also plays into what you do as a musician and what you put out and, it's fucking, it's awesome to some people. It's fucking inspiring to some people. And it's a fucking slap in the face to others. And you just can't win. If you're a musician, you can't win. If you make the same shit, they're going to call you out. If you make a different version of the same shit, they're going to call you out. If you fucking go too far one direction, if you do, too, if you get too artsy, then you're a fucking asshole. It's just, you got to just ignore it. Well, I'm, I'm always, I've said this a bunch of times on the show. I, I'd always support an artistic failure that's risky rather than someone playing it safe, even if I don't like it. Or because I think they're often, especially when you look in the arc of history, it's always more interesting. You know, yes. like we're like we're gonna be talking about Saint Anger till we're dead. Yep. You know, whether you like it or not, it's fucking interesting. It's fascinating. And there's a movie <laughs> that goes along with it that's just as interesting and fucked up as the album. Yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah, um, so I, I, and by the way, and, and I'm definitely not saying it's a failure. We'll see. We're gonna find out if if all your fans, uh, <laughs> yeah, turn turn their backs. I don't think that's gonna happen at all. Um, so we don't have too much time left. So I want to ask you because a couple more things. Um, so we're talking about this idea of the being bored and one thing is reacting to another thing or not being inspired. Is the stage a reaction to hail to the king like like just doing the opposite of that maybe a little bit but i think i think there's a deeper layer to the stage in terms of getting in there with brooks every day um and then also melodically we we chose path three or four when there was obviously path one or two that were going to be much more easily easily palatable yeah and we did that because we felt we were very much inspired by like faith no more uh cornell like old Soundgarden, um allison chains and the note choices they were doing and have this kind of harmonic dissonance and we got really obsessed with that and we really wanted to play with these interesting rubby sort of things that were really like make us feel something interesting. And we once we got into that mode, I think what really sets the stage apart from everything else in our discography and why it's so different is because melodically it's not safe. It's it's um, things like Sunny Disposition 
And maybe the song, the stage is the most normal where it's like yeah. in some sort of, um, you know, melodic sort of mode that we can all wrap our heads around. But then you get into things like creating God or, or, or um, like Fermi paradox. And we're, we're really pushing the limits uh, melodically. And so that record to me was like, a, um, it's funny because when we were writing for Hail to the King, one thing Mike Elizondo told us when we were doing that record, he's like, he's like, all the biggest songs, if you actually think about it, they're just nursery rhymes. He's like, sing a nursery rhyme over it and usually start on the, the root note or the third. And you'll be able to, uh, like, so like, you know, you're thinking about like, it's like, it's like a nursery rhyme. Yeah. When we were thinking of like Enter Sandman and stuff, you know, like, like they're all nursery rhymes. And when we got to the stage, we were anti nursery rhyme. It was like, if the but notes is that, is that anti hit? What's that? Is that anti hit? No, because we heard things like, I think, I think there's things like, um, fell on black days. I think there's things like, um, all the faith, no more songs. It's like that patent thing where it's like ending on these like, nah, nah, like these notes. You're like, that's out of key. Or is that like my, my head needs to adjust to that, but it's not it's just like a jazzy weird way of hitting it. And we were feeling a lot of emotion. I wouldn't say it was anti-hit. I would say it was, can we make, and we do it on the new record too, but we really were making it a more palatable version of that. Like Patton might do one or two notes in there and the stage we're just sitting at the whole time like this uncomfortable dissonance. And to me, it's just spreading your wings and trying new things. And, and, but the stage is becoming one of those things where it's like our, it's like our kid a, it's like our, like we're all these people that didn't like us love that record. A lot of people that gave it a lot of chance are like, I can't even listen to their old discography anymore. This is what I want from them. So it's one of those things. that's just, if, if you get that style, there's a depth to it. Pink Floyd does it all the time. Yeah. Pink Floyd, they always have that dissonance where you're just kind of on edge no matter what they're singing. And that was kind of the point of it, like to make it, make Pink us feel something. But I think there was a little bit of um, reaction to Hail to the King too. Like let's, because every time we're done with a record, we're like totally bummed on that record for a while. It's yeah. weird. You no, know, I, like, no, I always think the blast record you hate the most. You actually, before it comes out, it's, you're like, this is the best thing we've ever done. Yes. Then it comes out, you play it a bunch on tour, and you get tired of it. And then you also get like the, the backlash of like, oh, well, this record is too much blank. Yeah. And then you're like, until you make your next record, you kind of hate it again. Yes. And then, and then a few years later, like, oh, no, that record's sick. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But I even, actually even, appreciate even, like Waking the Fallen a lot now. And I, I appreciate a couple things we've done a lot more than I used to, but yeah. once they get in my like back pocket, like I kind of forget about it. I don't ever want to repeat it. I don't ever want to re like re-engage with it. I just kind of, if it comes on, I'm kind of like, Oh, our new shit's so much cooler. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like when I hear people playing or talking about it, like, but that's, I think you have to, to keep moving forward. I don't know how you, how it could be healthy to be wanking off to your record that you did 20 years ago. Like I just, I mean, if it's good, it's good. Some shit you just, yeah. you know, Kanye's listening to Kanye at his house. Well, Kanye <laughs> loves Kanye. Um, but then again, listen to Kanye's progression. That guy, yeah. it's like, 
there's people that li- like like old Kanye. There are a lot of people that love old Kanye. But if you put on like St. Pablo or Yeezus or any of those records, those are like artistic expressions. And old Kanye is really good hip hop. There's a difference. Like yeah. there's a guy that's pushing every limit and just really like pushing boundaries, like really stretching his elbows out into the, and then there's early Kanye, which is just really great songwriting. It's really great hip hop. But if that guy stayed like that, there's no way he'd be what he is now. He's the way he is now because he pushes limits. Listen, scoop to the poop, poop to the whoop whoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, nah. Never afraid. Never afraid. Yeah, he should be afraid of that. There's some (laughs) shit. There's some shit out there. Like I haven't liked anything since Yeezus. And I think the the crazier off the wall he's gotten mentally, I think his music has kind of got gotten worse. But you should check out Saint Pablo's good. All right, we'll see. I I just haven't since Yeezus. I loved every record Yeezus and previous, and I nothing is has has struck me. And also, I just. Think he's a very odious human being and that's <laughs> that makes it difficult as well uh um do you think the surprise like the surprise release um hindered that connectivity factor to the stage well there's a lot of people that the the common opinion is that we would never do that again because we didn't do well successful or um at retail or whatever that's not really true we are super proud of how we released that record. Did we think it was going to be bigger? Yes. Looking back on it now and seeing the music trends, it probably would have done 20,000 records more at the time, but it wasn't going to do what Hell of the King and Nightmare did. Yeah. I mean, the world had changed a lot. Sure. When people look at those metrics and they try to like compare, it's a, such a like, it's either to put bands down or it's to not be aware of the full spectrum of what's happening in our industry. Right when you see something like Blabbermouth put up, disturbs song or records from 2006 through, and it's like new record 30,000. Everyone's like, oh, they fell off. It's like, no, no one buys records anymore, and you can't bundle them with a thing anymore. You can't do all these things. Like, music's free. Let's all get over it. Let's get rid of the charts and not talk about it. Right, this doesn't matter. If you want to really compare stuff, go compare it to fucking hip hop, where they're the singles are just playing over and over and over and over and over. Those are truly big artists right now. And I think, you know, for the stage, the way it hindered was all the people that thought they should have been in on it that weren't, didn't support us. Yeah. Um, We had no more drivers. Radio did not play it at all. The week that the stage came out, they were still playing Hell to the King. I would listen to like Octane and they're playing Old Avenged Sevenfold. And we got a brand new song out. And it's like, okay, like, and then we heard from people that radio was bummed out on us because we didn't let them in on it. We didn't let them know what was going on. They just felt caught off guard. Sure. And that's, that was another reason that I just felt, fuck all of this. Like, this is a joke. Like, I'm not going to go walk around, shake everybody's hand, kiss all the babies, please play our record. I just don't, I don't care. And so the stage was a really eye-opening experience to like, the way that people like they're back scratched and that if you don't play the game, then you're out. Okay. Guess we're out. Like it is what it is. So that one was a weird one. I would do it again though. I would, I would surprise drop things on people. I think it's really effective. I think it's cool. I think um, as we move into our post label life after this one, I I just want to make a few songs and put them out. 
but I'm not going to promote it. Why would I promote it? Like, that's a big waste of time. Like just put it out. It's there, you know, and go on tour with those. But, but I also think that maybe we will make another record. Maybe we will do a distro deal. I hate because what happens is they hear me say something like this, it becomes a headline. And then everyone goes like, that's what they're going to do. And if you, and if you are a human being and want to change your mind later, then you're a hypocrite, but (laughs) it's, you know, do what you want. Absolutely. So we're running out of time and we didn't really get into the, the web three death bath stuff, which I wanted to get into as well, but maybe, maybe for, for another time, but um, I know people can check that out. And it's obviously something you've been putting out there. And maybe this corresponds with my last question, which is, you know, you've been someone, and maybe this collective collectively as a band where you've been in and out as far as being very publicly exposed with press and Recently, you came back on Twitter, which is in many ways, a lot of ways, me and you kind of got back in touch and started talking a bit. Um, Was that specifically because it's like, oh, we're doing this, uh, we're doing this NFT project. We have a new album coming out. Was that specifically for the promotional aspect or creating that connection with you and the fans? Or was it, hey, I just want to get in here and get in the mud a little bit and kind of see what's going on in this crazy culture war insanity thing that is social media and Twitter. Sorry, you cut out for a second. I heard the end. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, I got the end of it. It, it. You know, when it slows down, then I got all yeah. of it real quick. Um, so I joined Twitter for NFTs. I joined Twitter to talk about web three, to do spaces, educate myself, be involved in that community. Um, since then, I've sort of dabbled with putting things out there. I don't love the idea of Twitter. I think it's very toxic. I think sure. it's 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 kind of depressing. I really kind don't like of. to dip my yeah. I, I really <laughs> don't like to depressing. dip my toes in any of the politics stuff because people are just they're wild. It's like a you feel like you're dealing with um, just obviously the extremes of what's everything that's wrong, right? And yeah. so. I try not to deal with that at all. I try not to talk about the band too much either because I don't like to put a lot out there in terms of, you know, if, if you and me were to talk about stuff, I would give you every single detail to what we were thinking, why we did this, why we chose that, no, why. But I feel like it gets really misconstrued and it's going to people that aren't really interested, but they're kind of looking for something from you and it's not really. And then they kind of, it's just a, I think it's really not a healthy thing on there. I've been, and, and I know that if I tweet about things that I'm really passionate about, like web three and stuff, then it's just like, what the fuck? Where's the where? Like, and it's like, so you're just in a weird situation on there. And I just feel like it's, it's not helpful. It's, but I did, I did get it because I was learning a lot about that technology. I believe in the technology. I can't see a future where we don't have this technology where if you take the crypto crap out of it, you take the mini casino thing out of it and you're actually just dealing with decentralized authentication. I can't see a world where that doesn't play some sort of role instead of having someone like Zuckerberg or big entities control your shit and you have runs on banks and all of a sudden you're asked out and you've got, you know, the government bailing you out. There is a technology out there (laughs) that rids everything of that. And and there's a cool way to authenticate things online. Um, But again, the dust is in the eyes of so many people because of the mini casino-esque culture that has come along with 
flipping JPEGs, right? And so it's yeah, hard to yeah. even talk about these things because it's instantly reacted to with insanity. We just put tickets on sale, you know, for the forum and MSG. And everyone in Deathbats Club that wanted to buy tickets got them before the tickets went on sale. And you could say, well, Matt, we could do that with a with a um a deep link or with a, a code. Well, yeah, but you can also share those things. With with an NFT in your wallet, it's authenticated on the blockchain. You can't share that. Like it's it's done. It's a database of information. You can't like so there's so many things it does, but I can't get in the weeds with all these people and just argue with them all day. It's just unhelpful. So I've just been building. And then when something there is there to announce, I announce it. And then I just go back to building. And I just figured that's the best way to do it because as soon as you see, I mean, you do a really good job. I think you have a really good perspective, but your perspective is very rare because the world's so crazy. Like well, you see something and you respond to it and you're like, well, this isn't really that because there's a nuance here and this is why this is it. And they're just like, blah, blah, blah. That, that doesn't track though. If I was, if I picked a more, uh, kind of partisan, very yeah. like, like I'm going to, these are the good people. These are the evil people, right? Yeah. In any context, I, my Twitter would probably be 10 times as bigger. Like, I know. like being reasonable is boring as hell. And I don't, I don't like arguing with people. Like I like debating. I like having a conversation where it's like, well, I, I truly want to outsmart someone. And, and only if I'm right though. If it turns out I'm yeah. wrong and it's like, I oh, I thought the information was this and you provide me counter. It's like, oh, it turns out I was wrong. Yeah, and I'll go on that side now. That's yeah, cool. or whatever. Okay. Just, yeah. Um, well, meaning yeah. like for me, like everyone goes like, I'm an, I'm an atheist, right? And I, so talking to people about this and that, I, and I always say, listen, if you show me something compelling and if Jesus came down tomorrow, I would just go, oh shit, I was wrong. Like, cool. I believe in God. Now. Like, I'm not that stuck in it. But yeah. don't like, like with these ideas and with these things, people get so held on and then you can present them with something that's, they don't want to hear it because it, and, and what I see you doing is there's just a nuance to everything. There's an explanation for why you're thinking it. And you're right. It doesn't track. Cause like, who wants to hear that guy? That guy is like a, a normal, educated, smart guy. That's, that's got a, you're not telling me that, you know, this or that. It's, it's well, I think there's a lot of bad crazy. faith in it and um, presumption you know, that, you know, so every now and again, I'll get into something. This hasn't been in a while, but, you know, some Trumpy person or whatever. And they'll presume I'm, like, against them personally. Yeah. And I'll just explain things through. And, they, and they're on defense, right? They're, like, they're all jacked up that, oh, I'm engaged with my enemy. It's like, dude, I'm not your enemy. I'm just a guy. You're just a yeah. person. Let's talk. Like, let's don't – I'm not going to presume the worst about you. And you shouldn't presume the worst about me. But I always said, I, was, I said, Twitter – is not the town square, it's a battlefield. It is. And that's how people who are engaged in it, and listen, I'm just as guilty of it. Um, I'm, I'm not immune from kind of uh, being a part of that criticism. And I think, you know, and it's, again, I agree with the, the toxicity element of it, but I just try and put out my own little piece of it, a bit of, sometimes I'm too reactionary or, and some, you know, I'll put something out like, that was a little much, I'll, I'll delete that. And, uh, you know, but you try and uh, do as much as you can to to put something reasonable out there. And hopefully someone's listening. I'm a very tiny piece, a very tiny, small little corner of the world. But um, but yeah, you know, it is yeah. what it is. And same thing with this show. You know, I try and speak my piece and, and, and try and be as honest as possible 
to my perspective, but we always have to be learning and growing and and you know just because i thought this th last week maybe i was wrong and uh, constantly updating our subset of of knowledge and, and well and that's what's wrong with twitter is that people you get you get like punished for updating your thoughts <laughs> you thought that there or you're jumping side like i remember i um i said something about roe versus wade and had so many fans like you fucking woke this now i liked you better when you were this guy and putting pictures of us being like you know red meat republican like assholes and they're like you were way cooler then but you want you want to kill little kids like it's like, like you can't say anything you know it's just like yeah that's what i want to do i want to go kill little kids like no, I just, <laughs> you know, like, like but it's just like so reactionary and crazy you just really it's like i do respect people that just go on there and just say their piece though and just fight the fight you know, because I think it's commendable, but I also think it's it deteriorates your soul. Yeah. And yeah. like that's why I really respect someone like Sam Harris who just got off it. And everyone's talking shit. They're like, oh, he left, he left. And it's like, that's one of the smartest dudes you'll ever meet. And yeah, yeah you actually are a worse place because of someone like that leaving. Well, like <laughs> to me, it reminds me of uh if you do a sane thing in an insane place, people think you're insane. Yeah. Like the environment is insane. The same thing to do is leave. And people go, look at him, that fucking loser, that fucking yeah. weird. I'm like, he quit. Like, he tapped out. <laughs> I'm like, this is, I'm like, we'd all be better off if we left. We'd all have more time. Dude, my girlfriend, all that. What are you doing? Put that down. Stop. Yep. Be here. And she's right. <laughs> He's 100% right. And this goes back to reactions to music, comments. It's out. It's like, go to lunch. Go. Do whatever you're gonna do. Like, it ain't gonna matter what you read. It's only gonna bring you down. It never really brings you up. It's never like, oh man, comments were great today. Ninety percentile, really loved it. You know, like it's always just kind of like, mm. like, because well, even the people that like you, they have like a weird perspective, and it's not really like, or like, I like how they did this, and it's like not even something you did or something, and you're like, oh, I don't know, like, is that a compliment or? Is that... So, anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's it. It really, we would be so much better off if we could just stop being fucking humans that want to like just get in the fucking weeds on the internet. It's just, yeah. Well, we'll see what the future looks like. Uh, it's definitely going to get weirder and crazier. Um, but, uh, hey man, this is what we do. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you guys. Uh, you know, just sticking to your guns. Um, going against the grain being you know i'm i'm proud of knowing where you've come from where you've taken it you know the, a million bands can get some success the hardest thing is keeping it and being consistent with it and so all the you're you know just i'm always just blown away by your perspective and because it's unique you know and and i i just give credit to people who are doing something different and willing to do something different and put themselves out there and go hey you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. You can do your own thing. And uh, I've always, in many artistic situations, I use you guys as like a model of, you don't have to do it like that. Not saying to sound like you yeah. or be that, but but that, oh, you can have a hit song that's six minutes long or that has these guitar solos or that's zigging instead of zagging. And so it's always an, an inspiration. And I'm just, thank you. Thankful you, you, know, you took the time to be on here uh, and just share your story because it's it means a lot to me, but I also know the 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 fans of the show are gonna just love this. So 
I appreciate it. We've, we have a long history. I'm really happy to get connected with you um, back on Twitter. Um, it does have some positives, but I appreciate all that, man. And um, I, I look forward to both of our futures. Good luck with everything. Absolutely. We'll as as I said, I was, I was lobbying to Johnny. I was like, okay, you got a new album coming out. Bad Wolves got a new album coming out. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'll beg. I don't care. You know how you, you're like, doc, I'm not going to these radio stations and begging. Not me. I have, I'm not, I'm not too proud to beg. I love it. I love it. But, but, um, but no, I'm sure we'll like festivals oh, yeah. and stuff. And, and if it ever works out, it would be absolutely incredible. But either way, uh, definitely would love to see you guys soon and see you rocking out and just happy you're back, man. The, the scene misses Avenged and having you guys back as part of this just, elevates everything so it's just uh it's it's gonna be an awesome next couple of years appreciate it dude I'm, I'm looking forward to it cheers you take right, care have a great day and uh i'll talk to you soon all right see you later man bye, bye.
So that was Mattel, which is the second track off of the new event seventh old album, Life is But a Dream. And obviously since then, I've got a chance to wear out the album. I love it so much. And that's my favorite song. Uh, I just, I don't know, man. It, it, it just gets me in the in the in the in the feel in the feels and the emotions man i just i just that something about you know that that chorus break you know the plastic daisies thing which is so funny i i was looking at was it anthony fantano did a a review of that and he was just shitting on it and he complained about that line and i i think that line is it's just i don't know just it makes you think of something inorganic and and kind of uh so you know something that contradicts itself you know um i don't know it has a very like kind of beach boys energy there and then i love that solo section those sounds just in the drums that are going there and then the whole end which is kind of like a radiohead uh com- kind of computer okay computer vibe at the end and i'm just like combining all that and it's still metal like that song's got some riffs and it's got some balls and it's got some he's screaming in some spots which he hasn't i feel like done that in in forever um it just it just moves me and i think it's amazing and i'm, I'm glad that they're here and i, I want to thank matt for taking his time to to do the show man because i know he did a bunch of podcasts like right around the time the album came out but just to be included in that is uh i have a lot of gratitude so but as far as what's going on with me, what else? What's going on? Yeah, I told you guys I'm on Twitch. Sign up to my Twitch at Doc Coil. I got to see what my schedule is looking like coming up. That kind of got screwed up with my touring, but we're making it happen. All right, we're doing what we can. And Bad Wolves is actually on tour right now. The tour just started, and I'm actually not on this tour. And so my apologies to the Bad Wolves faithful. Um, but because of my obligations here, I'm, I'm missing this. I will say these dates did not exist when I, <laughs> I took the, <laughs> the ice nine gig. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, we had a situation there, but you know, we make it work, make it work. But I'll be back with the band end of August. I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually right after when I get off here, I have to transcribe a brand new unreleased battle song, uh, for the music video and also to play it live. So I'm going to be. My work does not end here. Um, I guess before before I go, I'm gonna talk about a little topical shit, some politics. You know, I leave this at the end, like uh, like some, you know, that part of the Twix. You know, the good part, the crunchy part. That's what this is. All right, if you're if you're in two and a half hours later, you're a true champion. But I kind of want to speak to this whole uh, Supreme Court thing. And I'm sorry if you're international and some of this stuff doesn't really ring with you but um there was a ruling recently about affirmative action uh for colleges you know where where they they deem that unconstitutional um and it's interesting you know kind of seeing you know meet guys i kind of i see all sides at least i try to and and i also think it's really important not to see events like this and respond to it knee-jerk you know i think it's really important to like Pull the emotion away, look, you know, step back, sit with it, examine it. And I, you know, I think the affirmative action thing in general is a tough subject. 
you know? And it's it's funny, like, there's like two movies from the 90s that involve like white power people, right? Neo-Nazis, it was like American History X and Higher Learning. And in both those movies, the, you know, people that, you know, kind of enforce this kind of white power ideology, one of their main points they utilize is affirmative action. This idea that uh, someone's taking your job who's not as qualified. And that kind of sentiment, which is kind of at the heart of justifying that position, right, was is also the kind of the, the, the same mentality, you know, of Rush Limbaugh or somebody like that would kind of utilize to to denigrate affirmative action. And I think it's this it's this tool, right, that was trying to correct these historical and institutional wrongs, right? To level the playing field somewhat. Um, and I think it, it had a lot of positive effects, but it also is a tool uh, that has diminishing returns, right? At some point, you have to weigh whether um, the kind of resentment that is built around it eventually is not worth right like what like what is that gonna what else is that gonna cause and then you have to go okay like i i feel like affirmative action is this thing that probably what we call like i don't know if this is an all law but it's especially in like music we call like a sunset clause where something eventually it exists and then eventually goes away and i think the real question was not if affirmative action based on race-based affirmative action would go away, but when, right? When do you decide things are quote unquote fair? And, you know, and kind of like to push back on the argument for getting rid of it, I think there's a, a this general fallacy, this idea that, oh, things were fair <laughs> and then affirmative action showed up, which is inherently not true, especially with uh, universities, right? Because uh, especially, you know, Ivy League and things like that. They think like 30% of admissions are legacy admissions. Uh, the children of, of some of uh, the, the staff and the teachers and the professors. Um, sports, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. So, and and this this idea that there are certain cultural advantages, right, that... Um, help certain groups of people, you know, that, you know, just make it intrinsically harder for other people to, uh, to kind of advance. And, you know, and like the, the one idea against affirmative action the way it exists now is that it kind of um, overwhelmingly punishes Asian students, right. Who uh, overperform, you know, in a lot of these metrics and maybe are, are, not even maybe are probably underrepresented in a lot of these uh, universities. So it's it's interesting that I think if if it was purely merit based, even white people would be underrepresented, right? Based on their um, you know representation in in the populace, you know. So sometimes I don't think things are definitively better or worse you just create new problems or or different kinds of problems right um 
But the interesting thing I think about this is like a lot of conservatives are like waving their flag and they're so happy. But I'm like, weren't you the guys that said universities are are like the wokest places in the world? <laughs> like you're like, this is they're indoctrinating our children to be communists. I'm like, well, if they're so woke, aren't the won't the um, universities just default to this kind of generic diversity anyway right do they necessarily at this point need uh affirmative action to choose from a pool of prospective students and not look at things like race so i i I doubt it's going to change the layout of what universities look like anyway so you know so i think it's a i think it's a mixed bag and sometimes i think you need to change things up a little bit like, because I think a a at least in the U.S. again, I, I can only speak to the American experience because I'm I'm don't know what it's like to live anywhere else. But I think if you had an environment without affirmative action, it creates a different dialogue, right? Um, about meritocracy, about like who gets what job, and it's dude, it's at the center of so much of this kind of populist white resentment you know i remember reading scott adams the you know dilbert trump racist dude (laughs) his book he's like i was let go you know i i I left many times because of diversity or whatever it was you know under it was under underneath it all um so i'm really interested to see how that might play out i mean i don't know what the laws are regarding uh workplace affirmative action or how much that takes place or if that's a law thing or just a rule thing i don't i don't really know how that works um but but i'm i think we have to be willing to to try new things and see how it goes you know because it it might have some detrimental impacts but you gotta kind of try the different policies to see what works and someone was saying this to like uh you know would you would you want a position that you feel like you didn't earn or or something i'm like listen the world has never worked that way. You know, people get jobs because they're friends with someone, right? People, you know, there's, uh, you know, you get an opportunity because your dad knew a guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, things have never been fair. And I think the illusion of fairness um, really muddies the waters. You know, like I got into a private school, uh, my brother and I, a prep school, very expensive, and we didn't get, it wasn't free, but it was like reduced price. And my, my grandfather ended up paying for it. Uh, but I imagine race was probably a factor. Am I like, <laughs> you know, do, do I feel like I didn't deserve it? Or I don't really care about any of that. I think in life, you got to take whatever advantages you can muster, you know, to try and get ahead. You know, I don't think you can sit there and, and go, Oh, we're such and such. No, no, you go out there and you you prove yourself. And and if I sucked at school and I dude, I struggled that first year just because I was behind, you know, a lot of those other students and I had, you know, questionable work ethic from time to time. But then, you know, by the by my uh junior year, I was on the honor roll, you know. So I, I feel like I did earn earn my place. But I think in life you gotta take the advantages that are available to you. Um and eventually, right, like everything kind of meets its water, its water level. Like 
if you're ill prepared for in an environment or you don't have the skill set, eventually that will be borne out and you won't be successful in that environment. Like in general, unless you're George W. Bush and then get a a 9-11 in Iraq and it's, we all have to live with the, with the mistakes of (laughs) nepotism. But, uh, anyway, all right. That's my, my little thoughts on that. You know, there was a whole bunch of, uh, kind of right leaning, um, things that happened in the court that week and people were kind of, kind of freaking out and I'm, I'm of the mind. I'm like, you know what, it's what you get, you know, we reap what we sow. And, uh, sometimes you gotta lose some shit for people to start caring and I don't care. Well, or we'll see, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, but it is a weird situation. You know, we, we do all this voting and do all this stuff. And then just this one group of people can, make these decisions that just change everything overnight. And it's weird. It's a double-edged sword, right? If they do something you like, then, oh, it's great. And if they do something you don't like, then it's terrible. And so it's just a very weird situation because they're in there for life. It's wild. Very wild. And probably the most powerful political institution in in the country, you know, because their their rule is pretty definitive, you know. All right. That's enough ranting for today. Uh, Thank you guys for checking out the show. Apologies for taking the time off. I'm going to do my best to get uh, this next episode out as quickly as possible, hopefully next week, Um, because I know the sponsor is waiting. They just hit me up on Twitter. I feel bad. (laughs) I'm I'm an absentee landlord. My apologies, but I'm going to get back on it. And uh, thank you guys as always for checking out the program. I'm going to get back to uh, riffing. Mama's out. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.